tip today in association with Slattery's of Pecan, your main Peugeot dealer for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie morning, welcome along to Tip Today, 1800 938 007. That's our free phone number, it won't cost you anything to make a call and Emma is looking after the programme today. Coming up on this morning's show, heavy criticism of Tipperary Town is rebutted. A public consultation on deer management in Ireland, uh, Enoch Burke controversy trundles on, we'll be hearing from some listeners on that. Uh, financial advice with Francis O'Hanlon, global politics with uh, Tipperary's Thomas Conway and uh, live music in studio as well uh, with uh, Kieran Rosney, guitar player and a uh, singer songwriter and travel tales with Fergal O'Keefe. So all of that and much, much more on the way. We have a lovely prize for you too. Uh, this week we've teamed up with the Talbot Fitness in the Talbot Hotel Clonmel as they launch their Leisure Centre membership sale. And uh, we have a gift voucher for a month's Leisure Centre membership in the award-winning leisure facilities at the Talbot Fitness Clonmel that uh, gives you access to the gym, the sauna, to the jacuzzi, the steam room and the swimming, the swimming pool as well. So that's based on your interaction with us by text and WhatsApp. And if you put Talbot at the end of your contribution, we will pop you in to the draw. So you can text and WhatsApp. 083-311-3311. You can email tip today at tipfm.com. Quick look at what's making headlines in your newspapers today. The Irish Daily Mail. Housing crisis, a critical block to growth. A damning report claims that uh, the housing shortage is threatening the economy and harming the country's attractiveness as a place to live. And that's according to the employers group IBEC to the Irish Examiner. And a rather worrying um, headline on the examiner today. Funerals delayed as death rate rises. A spike in the number of deaths in recent weeks has disrupted funeral arrangements and put uh, mortuaries under unprecedented stress. And according to the paper's analysis uh, of death notices on uh, the website uh, uh, rip.ie, it shows that 9,718 published in the eight-week period from December uh, 1st, 2022 to January 25th, uh, 2023 is up 20% from the previous year. The Irish Times and uh, their banner headline, Refugee Supports May Be Time Limited. Uh, supports and accommodation for refugees seeking shelter in Ireland could be time limited under proposals due to be considered by the government. Now, the Cabinet Committee on Ukraine will meet uh, tomorrow with ministers set to discuss the shortage in national accommodation, including for those fleeing the war in Ukraine. And uh, finally, on the Irish Independent uh, 44,000 health workers, pensions hit by outdated HSE system. This is unbelievable. Thousands of retired nurses, social workers and uh, medical scientists are missing out um, on rises in their payments due to the HSE's inability to update its pay and pensions systems, which is just incredible, I'm sure you'll agree. What surprises me is that the headlines in the newspapers today are not reflecting that story that broke in the uh, mail on Sunday yesterday, that successive Tishy 
and health ministers, including current cabinet members, agreed a secret plan to hide the true scale of the state's liability for illegal nursing home charges to prevent massive payouts, confidential government records revealed. Again, um, the enormity of that story um, struck me yesterday and I thought it would be all over the headlines today, but seemingly not. Anyway, if you want to respond to any of that, 083-311-3311. Now, in last week's Nationalist, a regional editor of The Nationalist and the Tipperary Star newspapers, Darren Hassett, published an article criticising the, tra- the traffic situation in Tipperary Town. In the piece, Mr Hassett described the town as one of the worst places in Ireland to drive through. Well, Councillor Michael Fitzgerald has taken exception to the piece in a post on social media. And Michael joins me now. Good morning, Michael. Morning, friend. Really good to talk to you today. You did take exception to this, uh, Michael. Will you tell me why? Well, I, t- I, I felt, and if you you know you see it on the article, I felt it was a little bit unfair. Uh, the actual heading of the article, Tip Town is one of the worst places in all of Ireland to drive through. And if you read the substance of the article, then it doesn't give very little uh, reasons as to why, except the man finding himself in the back of a car going to a match on a Saturday morning. Yeah, uh, he, he said it has to be the source of all road rage in the country. It's that bad. It's that bad. Like, I mean, we all know, and I don't have to tell any of the listeners about the the problems in Tipperary Town um, and, you know, the the, 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 the the need for a bypass, the need to have Tipperary Town bypassed is, is, is well... Uh, it, it, it's a conversation that's still going on and will go on, and hopefully it will happen. But what 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 I didn't really like about it, I suppose, friend, was it's not one of the worst places in all of Ireland to drive through, as far as I'm concerned, because I'm five miles out the road here. I drive through Tipperary Town every day. We've done so all our life. Tipperary Town has been a town to us from Golden and from Kilfeekel and areas like that. When you went to town, you went to Tipperary Town. We went there for cinema, for discos and for playing rugby and stuff like that. And uh, a lot of work is happening in the town. A lot of stuff is going on there. We know, and everybody knows, it's been true a dark, a very, very dark period, and everybody, you know, blame will be apportioned on on everybody. But it's fighting back, and it's fighting back hard. Mm. And you know, I don't mind. I don't mind. Um, you know, seeing criticism. I don't mind people being criticising. But I, I just felt that the editor. You know, I send, I send, and I have sent the Nationalist newspaper to relatives and friends all over the world in Dubai and America and in England from time to time, who feel that they'd like to keep in touch with home every week by reading the Nationalist, and I've, I've done that and will continue to do that. But I just felt that the. The the uh, the editors, uh, the editor of, of all people, just uh, it was the tone of the of the, the headline, and the substance of what he wrote afterwards. Because if you read it, you know he calls it a nightmare, a disaster, a disgrace. And after that, he said um, his last experience was in the late 1990s when he came to the Cannon Hayes for swimming lessons. Mm. Well, his point about that was that even back then there were traffic issues in in the town. And I suppose what what he's saying, I mean, we might not like it because we're both very fond of Tipperary Town. But, I mean, what he's saying has 
truth to it, Michael. And oh, it, it has. You know. It has, yeah. But, like, how long are we going to keep um, headlining the negatives? Um, there's so much... There's, and I know what's happening. And it's not, it's not mm. getting airspace or it's not getting paper space. But there's a lot of stuff happening out yes. there in Tipperary Town. And, and that's fine. And, I, and uh, I know that there is. But still, I suppose people are looking at Wellworths closing down. They're looking they at all are. the vacant premises on the main street there, Michael. And they are sitting in traffic at particular times they for are. long periods they, of time. Yeah. Yeah, and, mm. and that's a fact. But I mean, what what you're saying there are two different things altogether. Sitting in traffic and Wellworth's closing down are two different things. I'm not King's sure that there's not a King, link there in King, some King, way. No, 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 no. The link is the link is uh, the shoes is gone every time. Everything is done online now, Fran, as you know. Mm. There are there are similar shops to Wellworth's opened just outside the town. Yeah. They're yeah. taking. They, they, they have. They have this. It's not. It's not the the roadworks. And maybe maybe people will tell you that that it is that. that well, I'm they, sure that it's part of it. I mean, in the places outside the town, it's very easy park. It's not it's so easy, easy park, park in, in the centre of the town. Friend, any town you drive into, you don't park on the main street. Mm. Mm. Now, if you do, you're you're you know you're you're going to spend ten minutes walking looking for a machine to buy a ticket. Mm. If there's a, spark, a parking space there, you look for the blue P sign and you park in the in the car park, yeah. as you do in any town. I mean, we we use this uh, car parking. Uh, uh, we can forget about you know. There's plenty free parking in Tipperary Town. There's plenty paid parking in Tipperary Town. There are plenty parks in Tipperary Town that have access to the town to the town centre. I, I really don't take that as a reason. I, I, I take the fact that over the years, and you know, I, I've heard the argument. I've heard the argument that since the since the, the urban council went, mm. the urban council has only gone uh, seven eight years. It was there up to 2014. You know, uh, a lot has happened. A, a lot has happened in the last eight years. The, the the urban council was there in the late 1990s and working very, very well. And uh, you know, we 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 just need to have confidence. And and I know. Look, you saw if you read what I put up the criticism I that yeah. I got, and I get, and I don't, and, but I don't mind that because I know in my heart of hearts that there are people working. Uh, to make a difference and really working hard into Prairie Town to make a difference. And it's coming, mm. it's coming to fruition. But would you, would you show me how, Michael? How, how is it coming to fruition? I can tell you exactly how, Fran. Mm. Because if you look at last Monday, we had an update. We, we had an update on the, on the new N24 mm. last Monday that yeah. went out and is out there now for public consultation again. I've been critical of this because we've had a lot of public consultation and now there are certain aspects of it out for consultation yes. again. That, yeah. didn't get a, that didn't get a mention on, on the paper. Well, we, had, we had a full uh, discussion okay. on that last week, yeah. Okay, you had. Mm, yeah. You had. But I'm, to, I'm talking about an article on the Nationalist Front. Yeah. There's a new river walk there. That's mm. new. Like, uh, um, uh, town centres first. That was the article that was related to this that yes. Martin Quinn wrote. Mm. A perfect, uh, an very, very good article. You know, there's, there's new plans. There's new plans for an educational centre for Dan Breen House. Mm. 
as a as an educational centre, they're, they're all good. They're all good. The Irish House has been redeveloped in there. The Glove Factory, the Market Yard that we had criticism for has been redeveloped mm. and is an excellent facility now. And we've we've a, we've a state of the art library. You know, there, there, there's so much we we had, and I, I don't mind saying it. You know, the town won the, the, the young scientists with two lovely young lads there, Michael O'Connor and Liam Brilliant, Crew. brilliant news. I'm, no, yeah, hold on, no, yeah. I'm, I'm going to go on a little bit further. Mm, mm. We're firefighting to keep the Canon Hayes and the XL going to wonderful facilities in the Tipperary town. Mm. I remember going back that they, they, you know, going back. The council has committed monies there uh, for 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 a long, long number of years. And, you know, a Tip Town Revitalisation Task Force, the Tidy Towns, the Chamber, uh, musicals just finished there. These are, these are positive things that mm. are happening in Tipperary Town. Right. You know, these, and are you saying all, we don't hear enough about this? We don't hear enough about them. There's, right. money being, there's money being committed into them. We hear the negatives all the time. And, I mean, I, I have no, 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 I, I, under no circumstances, I don't know, I don't know the editor of The Nationalist. Hmm. Well, we give him an but, opportunity. Can I put yeah, this out, by the way, Michael? We, we did yeah, give yeah. Darren Hassett an opportunity to come on with us this morning, but well, well, he chose he's not he's to do He's a so, good yeah. man. I read, I read his paper, Absolutely. and I still will read his yeah. paper. But, hmm. you know, I, I just felt, I just felt from a person, he, he's an important person in the in the overall scheme of media in Tipperary. He's an important, he's an important man, he's the editor of the paper. Did we need that type of a, of a headline? Right. But people will tell, people will come well, back I'm, and I'm looking say, at the, what, I'm, what he called a spade a spade? Yes, I'm, I'm looking at the screen in front of me and it's all about traffic, Michael, and all the positive you mentioned I would certainly go along with, but yes. certainly what needs to happen is the traffic sorted out. Yeah, and, 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 it, and it is happening. Right. It, 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 it is. is. And I'm not, going, I'm not going to turn the pages back to when money was allocated and it was, you know. But I mean, back in the, the, the town council days, yeah. I'm not going to go back there because I think we are making progress now. I think it's going to take time. I've heard people on your program saying, uh, simple solution, put a bypass around, just put a bypass around the town. It's not a simple solution, as we see now that people's lives, mm. their houses, their lands, yeah. everything is affected when you go trying to put a bypass. And it doesn't happen in five years. It doesn't happen in 10 years. Mm. There, there's a process to be gone through. And, you know, it's, it's, it's going to happen. We have the goodwill of this government. We've had the goodwill of Eamon Ryan and all the mm. criticism that that man takes. He has been, he has been uh, very good, I think, in, in, in pushing this and, and in promoting well, it. Well, well, that's mainly because it plays into his overall agenda, which is that, you know, the, the notion yeah, of the bypass yeah, is better you, than the N24, I suppose. Yeah, but look, as I said, mm. Fran, on the thing, there are traffic issues in every town. Yes, but, but, but you have to admit they are very profound in, in yeah, Tipperary every, town. If you look, yes. at, look, at, look, at, look at Care and Cashel, both bypass town, yeah. mm. both towns that are playing to their strengths. Mm. Castle in Care, uh, they'll, they'll have films, they have films mm. being filmed there and it's growing mm. as a film uh, centre now. The Rock, I needn't say any more about Cashel, mm. which half a million visitors every year and growing. They have the footfall. Mm. You know, uh, they also have the bypass. We will, we will in time and we should have had it long, long ago a bypass of the, of, of mm. the town. But there was objections in Care and Cashel to mm. the towns being bypassed as well. There are people to this day that say to me in Tipperary Town, business people, mm. that we don't need a bypass. 
that if you stop the traffic coming through the town, you're taking you're taking the footfall, you're taking the life. Are you serious? From from business people? Oh, I'm telling you, I, I'm not going to name them, but I can I can assure you. They say to me, uh, uh, okay. Let's take out the heavy goods. The heavy goods that are there are towns when you travel up the west of Ireland, mm. or travel up the Midlands, where the HGVs, the heavy goods uh, vehicles, are taken out. That's what really needs to be done: is to take out the. But you know, I mean, there, there are for, no matter what you do, you're going to have for and against, and you have to try and uh, meet a balance that will. Yes. That will, uh, Se- several listeners yeah. want to know, are you going to write a rebuttal to The Nationalist about this? Are you going to write a piece that you would expect to be published um, to rebut this? No, I'm not. Are you not? Not in the world. I, I mean, I've done what I... I just, I just reacted to, to uh, something that I saw on the nationalist. I mean, I'm not I'm not into that kind of I'm not going to do that. I've done mm. it and as you as you have brought it to the editor's attention, he mm. has seen it. So like I mean, I'm not going to bring this I just I just uh, I just comment commented on these things. I don't think I was any way unfair in what I said. Mm. I just said felt I felt that was a bit unfair. Yes, but it was uh, one I, person's I, experience, and I suppose it was his family's experience through the town as well. Uh, you but, did, but you did word, say he didn't friend, need to go friend, down the main street to go to, to Kilmallock anyway. When you describe something, when you describe something, like if you were if you were planning, if you were sitting in a, in an office in New York or in London or in Berlin this morning, and you were saying, and you were looking at a map, and you were saying that Tipperary looks a good place, it looks a good, and and you see it described as a disaster, a nightmare, mm. a disgrace. You know, I mean, and this is coming from the editor of the paper. What are you going to say to yourself? Oh, geez, I'll run a mile from this place. Forget about it. Right. But I mean, if we don't, if we don't start talking up. Of course, but, and, and, and I feel bad about the fact that I have to speak for Darren Hassett here, but can I put it to you that it's the duty of any media publication to, to put both sides of anything? And in fairness, in the middle of the article, he did make reference to Martin Quinn's lovely piece as well. So, you know. Well, I can, you know, I can be critical of Martin Quinn's lovely piece as well, if you want me to be um, this morning, because he mentioned in his lovely piece that uh, that uh, Ross Gray has been put in front of, of Tipperary Town with the with the town centre's first scheme. It hasn't, or he wasn't sure of that comment. I think is what he said. It hasn't. I mean, t- Tipperary Town's application for t- is in there. It's very much alive. I know, but the and, work is done in Ross Gray. Well, I mean, you can't do all the work at the same time. Tipperary is going. I know, to but I presume that was the point that he was making. Maybe, yeah, I don't know, but but I mean, uh, all this, all these, all these fundings from RRDF, URDF, uh, Crocornia Towns Fund and Town and Village Renewal Schemes, these are all these are all there, and and I know from talking to Anthony Coleman, our town, yeah. our town manager, that these are all very much active and alive, and and a lot of things. A lot of things are, are, are happening in Tipperary Town, Fran. And you, you know, um, I, I'm, 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 I'm not, I didn't come on here this morning to be critical of anyone. Mm. I just came on to say what, what, I, had, what I had said. Yes, what, and that's, I, that's what, why we invited you, Michael, and we yeah, appreciated, yeah. Why, why I feel, yeah. what I feel that to describe, to describe the... the just the traffic, and I know good people have have have, have mentioned it on the on the piece that mm. the traffic it's traffic traffic traffic. 
Yes. But they, they can't understand as well the way the traffic light system works there and you know how useful that is to the overall problem. Do you keep getting complaints about that, Michael? I do, yeah. They're, 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 I don't know what the word they use, synchronised. But they're yeah, not synchronised yeah. properly. And why, I mean, that's been going on for ages. Why isn't that uh, sorted? Like, <laughs> If I... If I could sort that, Fred, I would sort it yesterday, not today. Right, but what is the impediment against sorting that? What, what is? I, I don't know. Yeah. I, I I don't know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's 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 too slow going one way, and yeah. you know, it's 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 it's. I don't know. Your your the traffic light lights are at a, at a, at a four road junction. I mean. <laughs> I'm not an expert. I'm not an engineer in these kind of things. Um, you know, uh, is the, is the is the condition of the main street? Can we go back to that? It, 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 mm. It's a it's a disgrace. You'll hear. Mm. We tried to get it through to put it through, but put our uh, the, the the experiences on David Street. There was no way in the world the, 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 the amount of time street, to be held up. Yeah, that the main yeah. street was going to be done. So it's put on the long finger again. Like you know, I mean. There's all kinds of, um, there's all kinds of, and, and, and there's a lot of, my phone keeps, keeps no. falling here for some <laughs> no problem. reason. No problem. You might hear, you might hear the bang. We do indeed, no bother. Um, you know, there's all kinds of, uh, good work going on. That's what, that's what I'm saying. There's, there's, yeah. there's good people out there that are doing good work. And then, <clears throat> instead of finding, I, you know, there's, 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 there's a lot of, there's a lot of people now talking about and, 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 uh, and, uh, you know, negotiating yes. with the, the Arab, Arab, the, the consultants for the bypass. For the bypass and, yeah. Even uh, though I must admit, Michael, I was trying to get my head around it and try and find out exactly about phase one of it. It's hugely complex and complicated. It is. You know? It is, yeah. Yeah. It is, and it's going to be very, you know, no matter. And people got letters last Monday that had not got letters before yeah. regarding yeah. it, and people will get letters in the future, but seemingly... And people can't will, sell on their properties or no, stuff in the meantime? No, they can't build a house. Or, yeah. They can't build a house that they have got planning permit. They can't even put up an entrance if they have got planning permission for it now. Yes. And if they got a letter last Monday. But seemingly, you know, that that before when these things happened, Fran... There was consultation. There was a, a route chosen in the story. Mm. That was it. You went out and you, 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 you know. I can't. I cannot quite honestly understand why there has to be so many changes. Why the first uh, consultation that took place, or the first when they sent up these drones mm. now and look at the, look at the routes that they can't see mm. the amount of houses that are there. That. Uh, but Michael, if a fellow of your experience can't understand that, how can I understand that? How can ordinary see, people understand that? You see, experience is one thing, friend, but it, it, things change. Things yeah. things change every single. Uh, year to yes. an extent that it's very very hard it's very hard to, to really understand the way i mean we're in we're in an age of technology now mm. i mean um, you know huge sophisticated technology that that uh, poses not only not only good advantages but a lot of problems as well yes and you know that better than anyone because sure. you, you're a learned learned man oh, sure. and and uh, you know, um, we'll get there. There's, we, 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 things will, 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 will. Tipperary Town, I guarantee you, in ten, twenty years' time, will be back again at the. Tipperary, in the seventies and eighties, when you had Atari and when you had Tambrans, mm-hmm. and the rest of the country was suffering, suffering uh, an economic downfall. Yeah. Tipperary was thriving. It was. 
It and the, and, and, and the, the, cream, the, the creamery there. It was able to survive the worst days, but unfortunately, when the better days came, Tipperary um, wasn't able, Tipperary Town wasn't able to. And, and the shame about it, Michael, is, and I'm boring people with this all the time, but it probably, potentially, the best brand in Ireland with oh, yeah. the word Tipperary. And I mean, oh, it absolutely. should be benefiting from that, you know. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right, Michael, we were delighted you could come on with us this morning. And th- thank you for your time. Thank you, Michael. Okay. Thank Thanks. you. Bye bye to you, know, this Councillor Michael Fitzgerald there, who uh, took to social media to um, rebut that piece in last week's Nationals. If you want to have a look at it, um, I'm sure you can look at it uh, online, uh, written by uh, Darren Hassett. And I suppose what angered Michael and some some other people as well most was the headline which said, Tipperary Town is one of the worst places in all of Ireland to drive through. 1800-938-007. Tip today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie Alright, big reaction to my chat with uh, Councillor Michael Fitzgerald, as you can imagine. A lot of people um, of the opinion that Michael should write a piece um, to be published in the, the Nationalist. And I'm sure, in fairness to the Nationalist, I'm sure there wouldn't be an issue with uh, publishing uh, that piece if Michael uh, chooses to do so. Listen, says Tipperary Town hasn't been bypassed up to now due to the inactivity of local and national politicians over the last 30 years. It's back on the agenda now due to the marches of 2018 and 2019 and to, uh, due to local groups who have applied pressure on the relevant authorities. Uh, somebody else saying, what's in Tipperary Town? Only bookies and chippers. Asked Michael, did he ever try to bring a tractor or a truck through Tipperary Town? It's a nightmare. Uh, in fairness to Tipperary Town now, bookies and chippers would be a bit of, you know, there's a lot of other very fine shops. There's a great man shop there. There's uh, several good electrical shops there that I know of, you know. There's great pharmacies on the main street. Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, there's... The, the great Denny Ryan's music shop down there in Bank Place and yeah you know there's a lot more than bookies and uh, chippers there in fairness um, the councillor is going around with his head in the sand if he thinks traffic and parking has nothing to do with shops closing I can drive to Limerick uh, to the Limerick end of town it's free parking with exactly the same stuff as Wellworth's instead of sitting in traffic for 10 minutes in the town says Joe Margaret says no doubt the intelligent traffic lights in Tipperary Town are stupid and seriously need to be looked at well Michael Fitzgerald agreed uh, with that uh, and Margaret goes on to say, but I think what Michael Fitzgerald is trying to say is using uh, sensationalist headlines and dissing a town uh, is not the same as constructive journalism. Yeah, well, one person's constructive journalism is another person's dissing, I suppose. Enoch Burke attended Wilson's Hospital School on Friday afternoon despite being given until 2pm that day to purge his contemptor to face a fine of €700 Euro a day. Now, Mr Burke, he was dropped at the secondary school in Multifarm in County Westmeath by his dad at uh, just 8.44am. He left the school at 3.35 and he is being fined for contempt of court after he continued to attend his former workplace despite his dismissal last week. Now, Tony was in touch with us about this and he joins me now. Tony, good morning to you. Good morning, friend. Good to talk to you today. How do you feel about the whole uh, Enoch Burke saga and I suppose as I said in yesterday's uh, Indo how do you solve a problem like Enoch very good question I think he's done quite a good job at turning this into his beliefs versus the law 
the law is that he is in breach of a court order. Mm. Now, I would be imagine that that court order is still in force. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, I don't know what the position is in regards to collecting a fine. And normally, if a person refuses to pay a fine, a warrant would be issued for their arrest and imprisonment for so many days, uh, in, uh, unless the said sum is sooner paid. And there is the possibility of him being charged for criminal trespass, of course, uh, following his attendance at the school again. But is this about criminality, do you think, or is is this a wider discussion altogether? Well, I think Mr Burke would like it turned into a a discussion on his beliefs. He seems to have, uh, this was the whole uh, start of it, that he he seems to think that this is about his beliefs. Mm. Uh, Thankfully, we enjoy reasonable religious freedom in Ireland. And one of those, that freedom extends to not inflicting your religion on others. And just just for listeners out there, Tony, he, he refused to accept transgenderism on religious grounds in the case of a child at the school. And that led to the encounter with the principal and all sorts of disciplinary hearings and stuff. Just, just for to keep listeners up to speed on this. Sorry, yes, Tony, you, you were saying then. Yes, but he, he has done quite a good job at, at uh, convincing the public that the, this whole issue is down to his beliefs and the school refusing to uh, his his right to have his beliefs. Mm. Uh, my opinion would be that he it has nothing to do with that. Mm. Um, what what I, I do you think is behind this then? Well, obviously, the whole family seemed to have problems with one thing or another over the years. And it appears that uh, they they are a fundamentalist family. Mm. Uh, based e- on evangelical, they would describe themselves, yeah. Well, evangelical, yeah. yes, I, I, I know the word, but mm. uh, I think we could term that um, fundamentalist very easily mm. because it appears that only the views of the family are relevant mm. and that other people's views... As I said before, the freedom of, of religion does extend to all of us that we should not uh, be subject to other people's beliefs. Just because you have a belief does not give you the right to enforce that belief on others. Yeah, the the, the authorities, local and national, they, they've never quite come up against a situation like this or somebody like Enoch Burke before, Tony. Do you think that with all this... Uh, woke conversation and uh, transgender conversation and, and and everything that attends that. Do you think we're going to get more of this over the coming months and years? It seems to be the way society is going. I have no great opinion. If somebody identifies or seems to want to be called by a different name, yes, why not? If, mm. if, if a person is uh, having problems with their gender and they decide to um, change, I suppose, gender. Mm. Um, that should be respected, really you think? At the moment, from what I could believe, but the person wants to be known by something else. Yes, if they pick a name, they surely have a name. If they pick a name and they want to be called that name, I have no problem with it. Right, and you think a teacher uh, is obliged to to behave in that way as well, and to to acknowledge the the wishes of the student. Well, I think that is. I think the student is probably has has not been uh, treated very fairly in this. I mean, mm. the, the student obviously has some issues. Yes. 
and they should be dealt with sympathetically. We have to be sympathetic to people that feel like this. Yeah, in fact, and I'm sure you'd agree, Tony, I'm very concerned about the transgender student in this case because I'm sure that they're they're having a traumatic time anyway um, dealing with their own issues and then, on top of it, the media spotlight is on their school. So I would fear for the student's mental health. Exactly. Uh, You see... the. Burke, uh, uh, he seems to uh, feed on the on on the media, and this whole thing I'm sure would have died down a lot sooner had the media not flocked to it and uh, given it sustenance. Yeah, and do you think do you think we're a country divided around these issues? as well, and that maybe that's why there's such an interest in this, that maybe some people uh, would agree with Burke's stance on this. You see, it depends what his stance is. He has uh, done such a good job at convincing people that his stance is in relation to his beliefs. His religious grounds, yeah. Mm. Nobody has has infringed his beliefs to have uh, his own beliefs. Mm. The whole thing has been blown out of proportion I presume by design by himself and his family mm. because they all seem to be rather radical and I use the term radical rather than evangelical. Mm. Uh, I have no doubt had he been from a different persuasion he would be called a fundamentalist or a, a terrorist even perhaps. Uh, well I'm not sure about terrorists though, because <laughs> but, Well it's, some people can identify them as uh, when they don't uh, fit into nice norms but certainly his beliefs would be pretty radical in in my view. Right. I think we have the right to freedom of religion and freedom from religion. Right. And and just a final one for you, Tony. Is there any place in the classroom for the teacher's own personal views or beliefs? I don't believe there is. For the simple reason, the teachers are paid by the state. The state is supposedly secular. And we can all have an opinion now, whether that is in um, in agreement with what the official uh, board of education or the Department of Education want is another matter. I'm sure teachers, in a lot of cases, uh, are free to give their opinion. But when it infringes on on uh, the society and the class as it has at the moment and the school in general, I don't believe they have the right to give their opinion on a, uh, in in that sort of thing. Their job was to teach, irrespective of whether they were teaching male, female, or anybody else. Yeah, it's interesting that the school has a distinctive Church of Ireland ethos to it anyway, though, isn't it? Well, it's probably something. I don't believe the Original Education Act foresaw any religious schools. I believe it, I think it's about 1842, 43. The idea was that schools would be run by the state and that they would be for everybody. We had the religious schools where, where um, I suppose it suited governments, successive governments, that they were kind of usurped by different religious orders. Of course it did, from a financial point of view as well as Correct. everything else. Yeah. Um, so we don't really have that secular education. Hmm. So yeah, it's, it's, it's open to abuse from, from all quarters, from all religions. Uh, how do you think it's going to end up? Is he going to end up back before the courts again, do you think? And I presume he will. If he fail, if the fines uh, is €700 Euro a day, yeah. I presume that's going to be for seven days. I don't know, does he does he turn up? Is it Does it apply Saturday, Sunday? I presume he's far too busy on Sunday to attend school. I'm sure prayers take up all of Sunday. 
Tony, so, take take the tongue out of your cheek, please. <laughs> Tony, good to talk to you today. Thanks, okay, good thanks very much. Thank you. Good morning right. to you. That's uh, Tony with his comments there. How do you feel about that? 1800 938 007. The text and WhatsApp is 083 311 Don't forget, if you want to get into that uh, draw for the lovely prize, it's a month's uh, uh, membership at the Talbot Fitness in the Talbot Hotel in Clonbell. And just put Talbot at the end of your contribution. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecone, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecone, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie uh, Fran, you mentioned uh, that the levels of excess mortality up by 20% in Ireland while well, I was making reference to the piece in the examiner today. Listen uh, goes on to say this is also the case in Great Britain, Canada, New Zealand and 25 European countries. I believe 30 countries in total have recorded a similar level of excess mortality and it's not, not linked with COVID infection. No explanation is being offered. There appears to be a common link which is better not to mention for fear of being branded a conspiracy theorist. It is, however, suspicious by under-reporting worldwide. It would suggest that your researcher takes a look into the... This is something we've been discussing over the last uh, while, Brian, but thank you very much indeed for your, your text today, and I'm sure it's something we will get back to uh, again. The Department of Agriculture, Food and the Marine have launched a public consultation on the management of deer in Ireland. The closing date for submission is uh, February the 10th, now, Councillor Marie Murphy raised this at the municipal district meeting last Monday and uh, joins me now. Good morning to you, Marie. Good morning, friend. Good morning, listeners. Uh, good to talk to you today. Um, I'm wondering, you. wondering about this. How big an issue is it, uh, Marie? Well, it's, it's a very big issue in uh, at the foot of the Knockmill Downs. And I'm not just talking about the road from Clahim to Newcastle, but also the main road from Clahim to Ardfinnan. I lived in the area about a mile and a half outside Clahim now for 20-odd years, and I've never seen the um, deer numbers that are there this year in particular. They've been increasing over the years, mm. there's no doubt about that. Um, but this year, like even last Wednesday night, particularly at dusk in that dark, at night time, you will see them. I was on my way into Clahim, and at three separate spots in the mile journey I came across um, and in one case there was about 10 deer but I came across 4, 10 and I think there was a couple at the last one and I, I've had two accidents myself over the last seven, eight years where I've hit deer even though I've been driving slowly now there weren't major accidents but yes. the, the deer have won um, back in 2015 I was on my way to a funeral I'd only pulled out of my road and uh, I was heading towards Fahin and this big stag came out of nowhere and anyway both the the radiator and the the bonnet of the car and then this time last year about 5 o'clock in the evening driving about 40 kilometres an hour and it just came out of nowhere hit the side of the car and damaged the door um, but it's, it's, as far as I'm concerned, it's only a matter of time before um, a deer is going to... Right, so so something has to be done. I, I heard as well that I think it was last week that uh, uh, Deputy Jackie Kyle had a near miss with a, yes, with a, with a deer as well. Um, what what can be done uh, about this, Marie? What, what is the usual thing to be done here? Well, I think you, you need to have a call of 
dear, and I don't know why. Why um, go back a number of years ago, and there were people that used to go hunting deer, and the venison was used then. There was there was people that came from Wexford, from West Cork, because they knew that they would get deer when they'd come up here, mm. and they're not they're not travelling anymore. And is that about licenses not being available to them, Marie? Or how how does that work? It must be something to do with that, friend. But I, I read on um, on the department's website last week that they've increased the number of licences for the 2022-23 season, which mm. is good. Um, certainly, there has to be a call of deer. On that um, public consultation, there's about six pages of questions or six different questions that you'd be asked and you'd be asked to rank um, your answers from not important at all to very important and it, it, various different things like um, road traffic accidents, biodiversity loss, damage to gardens, threat to human health, all of that. You can you can rate them from not important to very important the whole way through. And uh, I, I know this has been raised in the doors by... Uh, Deputies from Kerry, Wicklow, Clare, Kildare, mm. all over the country. I'm not sure did any of our local deputies raise it in the door. But yeah, I, I think Matty McGrath did, if memory serves me correct, yes. Mm. Fair enough. Um, but the, and I hope he keeps raising it because the the massive increase in deer numbers in Knocknell Downrange over the last 10 years is absolutely frightening as far as I'm concerned. Right. What is the and story there? Because I, I don't fully understand it, but I do hear there are there different breeds of deer as well and some that we need to look after and then there's too many of the others. Is, is that the way it is, yeah. Marie? I, as far as I know, we have three different types of deer in Ireland. Um, is it fallow, sika, and I can't and maybe red deer. Yes. And, and uh, I... I I don't know what what the difference between the breeds are. Um, there is certainly probably crossbreeding going on, mm. and that may not have happened in the past. But deer travelling further, they, I suppose they would have all had their own patch back right. in the now. Um, they're like it. It was unusual eight ten years ago for deer to be on the Clonmel Road. Um, right. And it's regular occurrence. And that's an indication of the numbers. Will will the municipal is. district put forward a submission? Do you think? I would expect they will. Yeah. yeah. Um, I asked them to put forward a comprehensive submission last week um, because it's something that not just it doesn't just affect us down here at the foot of Knockmill Downs. Mm. I'm sure. And Arlo, you probably have a similar problem. Up, up around Dundrum, we, we have a similar yeah. problem there from time yeah. to time. I had a, cl- a very close shave myself with one of them at one stage. So it yeah. is an issue, and that's for sure, Marie, yeah. So there is no doubt that it's an issue, and it's an issue that needs to be, yeah. that something needs to be done before um, a, a serious accident happens. Oh. Now, the council have signage up in the area, and uh, like they're very quick to take away animals that ha- have been hit by cars mm. um, but like it, there's there's a cost to, to all of that and maybe yes. money could be better used 
All right, Marie, good to talk to you today and we'll see what happens where that is concerned. And thank you. That's Councillor Marie Murphy speaking to us uh, this morning. Now, on Friday, we discussed concerns regarding sex education in schools for kids and what seemed to really bother uh, some of our listeners was that uh, this would be available to kids as young as seven. Now, Tommy was in touch with us about this and joins me now. Tommy, good morning to you. Good morning, Fran. Good to talk to you today. Your feeling, nice your, you. your feelings about sex education in the school, particularly where seven-year-olds are concerned? Yeah, I, I, I think it's a disgrace, really, to be teaching seven-year-olds all about sex. Maybe in sixth class, in primary, when they're just before they go into second edu- secondary education. Mm. But seven years of age, you know what I mean? You're, uh, the way I see it, you're kind of given... They probably turn around and say to you, oh, sure, we know all about it, we'll give it a go. Mm. I have four girls myself, and I'll tell you one thing, if any of my girls, God help anyone, that it's there to, you know, have sex at seven years of age. Or they're not telling them to have sex at seven years of age, don't get me wrong. But... To teach them all about it, I do think it's a bit young. And you know? the, the the point being made uh, in the article that we made reference to was that, you know, young people are becoming more sexually aware really, really early. So maybe they need the information to protect them in some way, Tommy. I know. You could see it from both sides, really. Yeah. But um, more, and, and I know they can pick it up on phones yeah. and tablets yeah. and things like that as well. In all fairness, it does boil down to the parent as well. Yes. You know what I mean? To control what they look at. Well, you're right. Parents are the first first teachers of of the child. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, yeah. And and are you you saying to me that you would opt your kids out of this if if it were to be the case? I would. I wouldn't like any... I have no children now under... My youngest is 11, Mm. thank God. But I think at that age... She's at the right age to, to be kind of taught the, the ins and outs of it. Do you know what I mean? Like, right. And would you do that at home or would your, your partner, do, your wife do that at home, Tommy? Or how No, I, well, I don't. I wouldn't, you know what I mean? I wouldn't talk to my girls about things like that. Okay. Yeah. My wife might, you know yes. what I mean? Yeah. yeah. And but I prefer it in schools not to have, say, a teacher explain to my child what to do and what not to do and a safe way to do it and all that. Right. I, sure. I, I'm gathering I'm gathering that it will be done in a phase kind of a way that, you know, a whole load of explicit information wouldn't be imposed on them at yeah, a very early yeah. age. I, I'm sure that that would be the case. And would that make you feel any better that it would be a gentler approach to it? No. It would. You know what I mean? Yeah. As long as it wasn't all just thrown on top of them and they have to try and take this in. Yes. You know, the thing I'd be worried about in if you had a few... You know, their little bodies wouldn't be ready for experimenting like that. And if they did do it, how would they protect them? You know what I mean? You couldn't just turn around and give a young girl at seven years of age the pill or anything like that, you know? Right, so that would would concern you. What about, I mean, we were just talking about Enoch Burke there and transgenderism and all of that. I mean, they're, yeah, they're being confronted yeah. with all of this as well. Do they need to be educated about it, though? Because I'm sure that little kids would be confused in some way. They would. A lot, a lot of children now would be confused about their gender and all that. And I know myself, you know what I mean? I do. I would like my children to know a bit about it. Yes. But as they say, don't force it on them or, you know what I mean, throw a load on at the one time because you'll have them thinking then, am I or am I not? You know what I mean? Like, 
Yeah, it's interesting. And, and I'm sure that that is the concern for an awful lot of uh, parents out there. Um, do you think that more information should be given to parents ahead of the introduction of this and, oh, and explain yeah. to them how it will be approached and maybe to yeah, allay their the fears in some way? Yeah, and not just dropping it like a bombshell on top of them, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, um, I, do, the, I do think that. The yeah. other thing, and it was a very good point one of the listeners made last Friday, which is that uh, even if you opt out, even if you opt your children out, you're going to have the kids who are part of the class doling out information anyway. You and and yeah. it's second-hand at that stage. It's and second-hand at that you know, stage, yeah. yeah. So that but might be an issue. Maybe it's brought in, as, a, as, as you said, a phase process. You know yes. what I mean? And I gather that it will be. I don't think they're going to impose a whole load of... You know, oh, difficult they put, they put information on the seven-year-old, yeah. And, and it goes right up until uh, sixth year as well, so right, right yeah, through, through yeah. the, the classes. The only thing about it is, Tommy, and I, I'm not sure what I'm, I, it's a, I'm gathering that you're younger than me, but I remember, like, nothing was told to us. I, I, we, we had a teacher in secondary school who, during one of the classes, he'd give us bits of information. So, but it, yeah. there was no structure to it. Well, it was, I was never told anything when I grew up anyway, to be honest with you, and I'm 59 last week. Right, right, so. Yeah. Uh, same, same, same grouping as myself, as that's. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I was never taught anything, you know. Right. So, and and can <laughs> I ask, and how did you find out about the birds and the bees then, Tommy? Oh, it was, uh, well, I didn't, I hadn't, in my day, you see, you had no interest in any of that kind of thing until you were 16, 17, or 18, because I was born and reared out the country. Right. Right. You know. So it was, a, country, a more, it was an innocent time. Yes. Sorry? It was an innocent time, you're telling me, by comparison. It was an innocent time back then, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's a very good point. Tommy, really good to talk to you today, and do no look problem, after yourself. Thanks, Tommy. Thanks very much. Thank, Thank you. you. Bye bye. Really bye, bye, bye. Uh, that's Tommy speaking to us there about sex education, which is a. Uh, a discussion we had on the programme last week. Uh, a listener says, I think fair play to the Burke fella, that would be Enoch Burke, for going against the grain, but it shows how dangerous these religious fanatics are. And we're lucky this man's religious beliefs doesn't include holy war, um, says Barry to us today. Another man's, uh, another listener, I beg your pardon, saying in higher case, so it appears to be shouting at me here, saying that man is so wrong, Enoch is entitled to stand by his biblical beliefs. This is one of our listeners in on 083 Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Welcome back to the second hour of Tip Today, 1800 The text and WhatsApp is 083 And just uh, by getting in touch with us and sharing your views or uh, coming up with something new on WhatsApp and uh, text. If you put Talbot at the end of your contribution, it gets you into the draw for the month's membership there of their smashing um, leisure centre. Uh, hi, Fran, just been listening to the programme. The man talking at the moment is saying that everybody's entitled to their beliefs, but not Enoch Burke. I think that he and his family are over the top. But then again, it's a case of do as I say and not as I do. I always find that I have the right to my opinion as long as I agree with the person I'm in conversation with. How about that for freedom of speech, says B to us today. Financial advice with FOH Financial Limited. Tried, trusted and experienced advice. See foh.ie. 
FOH Financial Limited is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. Francis O'Hanlon is with me in studio from FOH. Good morning to you, Francis. Hi, Post-Christmas, God knows we need all of the financial advice we can get. Yeah, absolutely, um, as we need it all year round. It's not just for Christmas, Fran. <laughs> it's like a puppy, isn't it? Uh, good to see you anyway, Francis. We'll start with a few uh, questions from last time round. What do I need to do as far as social welfare is concerned if I'm no longer a carer and have been in receipt of carer's allowance what information will they need? So I presume this is in relation to stamp and state Mm. pension and one thing or the other so I would say they don't need anything because there'll be a record and your uh, for all the world PRSI boxes or stamp boxes would be ticked um, based on the fact that you were in receipt of the carer's allowance but and they'll automatically update that I would say but look to be sure, to be sure, to be sure, check mm. your PRSI record. And you can do that with PRSI records, Department of Social Protection, and that's in um, Buncrana in Donegal, or you can ring them 01471-5898. Um, you can also do it through their website and, uh, you know, just just maybe put in uh, PRSI records and it'll come up to, to bring you to make sure it's legitimate, by the way, um, if you're going online. Yes. But, you know, they would have an automatic record, I would say, of your PRSI record whilst you were a carer, but just check if, you, if you're if you in doubt. All right, we're staying with uh, caring. I'm getting half carers for my husband. Am I entitled to fuel allowance with the old age pension? They, this comes up time it and does, time again. It does, yeah. And I, look, I would say possibly, but to get the fuel allowance, you must be either A, living alone, um, or only with certain people, uh, which I'll expand on, you know, be getting a qualifying payment unless you're 70 or over uh, and you must satisfy a means test. But you must live alone or with uh, a spouse, civil partner or cohabitant who qualifies for an, uh, an increase on your pension or social welfare payment. Uh, you, either you have dependent children or a person who's getting a carer's allowance or carer's benefit and is caring for you or your spouse, partner or cohabitant on a full-time basis or you're in receipt of maybe short-term jobs, seeker's allowance or some kind of supplementary benefit. Um you know, I, I would just say person age 70 and over, subject to means test, they qualify. Mm. But just remember, only one fuel allowance payment is paid to a household. So, again, possibly, sounds like I'm saying if you're standing at a right angle to the door and the wind is blowing the right <laughs> way. But look, there are conditions yeah. to, you, to you getting this. So possibly, I would say to that yeah. person. And, and funny if we always get questions into the programme about that. So there's obviously a because conf- confusion out there. It's yeah. a minefield, is, Fran. Yeah. That's, that's the reality. And, you know, I, I'm not getting into it today, but there's been huge changes even in the area of, you know, not just state pension. Well, that's coming down the line, mm. possibly the auto-enrollment. But there's so many changes of foot. It's no wonder people are confused. Of course. You know, we're in the game and we're trying to keep up with it. So, I have every sympathy. Speaking of confusion, how do you check your stamp level? So, I just call that out there. I mean, just check with the PRSI Records Department of Social Welfare and that's I think it's MacArthur's Road, Ard, um, Ardoravan, is it? Uh, Bunkrana, Donegal, Ireland, and oh. 01471-5898. Or you can do it um, online. Right. But again, just make sure it's legitimate if you're looking at it online because you're giving in information, obviously. Right, so be careful about that. Yeah. Th- that question, it tends to come mostly from women, does it not? Yeah, I think, yeah, yeah it does. Because, again, there's that 
oh, I was at home with the kids for, maybe for a while. Years, I'm not yes. saying that men aren't at home with the kids either, but, yes. you know, in the main, it's women saying, you know, am I entitled to anything for that? And look, we've kind of touched on that before, where you, for the years that you were in receipt of child benefit, yes, you have certain entitlements, again, certain to, subject to certain terms and conditions and maximums. So I would check, just okay. in case. I was very interested in this question, something, I, one of the many things I didn't know about. But anyway, it says, I've worked with the HSE all of my life. I was on the band D tax table. I'm not allowed glasses, dentists or hearing aids on my stamps. What am I allowed? Band D, first of all. Yeah, so it's public service PRSI class. So the majority of us would be class A. Um, so, yeah, look, and I, I don't want to sound flippant here because not all public service pensions are equal. So some people um, that I see in certain areas of the public service have relatively low pensions and it might be that they're not entitled, um, they wouldn't be entitled to the state pension. So somebody who's on PRSI Class D, the idea was they paid an awful lot less PRSI than any of the rest of us that are on PRSI Class A. So therefore they don't have certain benefits Ah, that we'd be entitled to, i.e. the the state, the the uh, contributory state pension, they're not entitled to it. Okay, so um, I, I, I suppose the the big thing here is, I don't know what level of pension this individual has. Mm. Um, I would say, look, if in doubt, maybe speak to the Department of Social Welfare. They'll tell you very quickly whether there's any extra entitlements you're entitled to. But I can't answer it because I. I'm assuming that you have a reasonable level of Class D um, public service pension, but again, down to individuals. And if you're a widow or a widow... Yeah, it it may well be that they're entitled to the widow's pension, right? right? Again, another anomaly in the system because it may be that their partner or... Uh, spouse had a cl- were PRSI class A at some stage, so they may be entitled to the widow's pension, um, or the state pension. Say their their spouse was entitled to the state pension, mm. and they passed away. It might be that this person then is due the state pension that their spouse should have got. Ah, right. Instead, okay. so again. Again, a mind mind field. Yes, all right. Uh, Let us move on then to, I suppose, the big talking point, and those of us who have pay into pensions will be very much looking at the way the markets Mm. are going for 2023, but I'm hugely uh, confused at this because the markets seem to be optimistic enough, but the central banks are not. Yeah, no, there seems to be a bit of a contradiction, all right. I suppose the central banks are very, very focused on inflation. Mm. Inflation, inflation, inflation. Um, because the mantra, say, even of the, the European Central Bank is to have uh, inflation levels around 2% and we're way off that. Right. Even on the on the recent um, figures, I think they were up around maybe late 7s, maybe 8%, that kind of mark. So it's way, way off the 2%. But again, I think you know, there's contradictions going on here because an awful lot of the economists are saying central banks have all got this really wrong. Mm. This inflation is different to, um, you know, usual people going out buying discretionary items, inflation. This this inflation has its core in energy prices and in food. Okay, so they're saying that they feel them putting up interest rates to the extent that they're doing is not going to work. Um, But again, they're going to fight that out. They're also making the point that that, uh, um, inflation has peaked. uh, Well, particularly in the States, I suppose. Yeah, and I mean, the, the, the... 
word is that inflation peaked, I suppose, across the Eurozone area, maybe in around October. Mm. And we have seen um, it start to recede slightly, but every area is different as well. Um, I, I do think from what we're hearing, there will be further interest rate increases to what extent? Maybe not as gung-ho as they were going to be, mm. um, but expectations are they'll probably stop that maybe in the coming months, but again, as to when Yes. Who knows? Well, the European Central Bank are saying it will be 2024, but, you know. Again, like, where where's everybody going to be? I mean, it's, and again, one man's misery is another man's feast. Right. Like, if you're talking about the interest rates that savers are getting at the moment, they're still very, very low because the banks in Ireland haven't passed on that interest to the, to, they haven't passed it on to the mortgage holders to any huge extent, right? But um, therefore, they're not passing it on to the savers. Um, so again, uh, well, who knows? That's what happens when you don't have competition, I suppose. But, yeah, absolutely, yeah, yeah. and unfortunately, that's narrowing. And you know, so, so what can we expect then, twenty twenty? So I think we can accept expect turbulence. Is that the word I'm going to use? Mm, yeah. Turbulence. I think mm. it's going to be bumpy. Um, but already in the month of January, and it's only one month. Um, you know, we've seen a considerable upturn in the markets. Mm. Um, that doesn't mean like if we look at the last year. It was there was a considerable downturn. Now I think a lot of people were oblivious to that, Fran, because of the upsurge that had happened after COVID. Yes. So maybe the 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 substantial gains that happened after COVID, people were cushioned to a certain extent or protected against um, the downturn of last year. But the downturn of last year was quite significant in saying that there is an uplift in January so far. Expectations are that it's going to be bumpy for the next few months, but they think as inflation um, reduces and maybe as interest rates cool, even to the extent that they're increasing them, maybe the odd quarter of a percent here or there, that you should see a return to growth in the market. Some people are saying that's going to happen sooner rather than later. I would say forget all of that, mm, right? Mm. Uh, the markets will do what the markets will do. What you have to say is the same thing we always say to people you know, know your own timeline, know your own risk level, know when you're going to need that money. Um, and I think that's right. all people can do. I know they're well positioned. Understand what you're in. Yeah, so as to whether or not it's a good time to invest, it, it, it's a very individual thing. Yeah, that, I would say, look, I, I'm kind of saying to people at the moment, especially that are paying in on regular premiums, they're buying in at, you would expect, discounted rates. I'm not saying they won't drop a little bit further. And I think they probably will, right? But you'll never time markets exactly. Don't try and do that because you won't do it, right? Okay. What you need to know is your own timeline and your own risk. So you're buying in at the moment after substantial downturns last year. So if we're not close to the bottom, or if we're not at the bottom, we certainly are fairly close to it. And again, there's that little kick, right? Mm. When things just all of a sudden turn. Nobody knows when that's going to happen. Like I remember that 2009 it was around March of 2009 after the worst crash since 1929. It was in around the time Cheltenham. Not that I'm a huge Cheltenham fan, but I remember it. <laughs> yeah. Literally, markets just turned, just lifted and then surged, you know, for uh, what was one of the longest bull markets. Yes, I remember you showing me the graph on that. Yeah. It was astounding. So yes. There wasn't any particular rhyme or reason to that. So I think, again... 
you, you know, should you stay or should you go, yeah. right? Yeah. It's about you knowing what suits you. It's about you knowing that what you're invested in is still good, has the potential for recovery, and that you know your own timeline. And that's what I would say to people, and that the charges are good and all of the usual things that we say. If you're, in, If you have the time, I would say stay on the surfboard. You know, don't be jumping off because if you come off, it's very, very hard, very unlikely for you again, to get yeah. that recovery yeah. um, going forward because what are you going to get it in cash? No, because we've just said interest rates are low. But again, you have to be comfortable. There's no point in you bolting up in the bed in the middle of the night wondering how the FTSE 100 is doing. <laughs> so you need to, it needs to be about what suits you. Absolutely. Okay. Speaking of what suits you, I'm delighted you're going to speak about this today because it's intrigued me for a long time. Um, the notion of the lifelong loans and you know yeah. what what are they to, okay. to begin with because we see the ads for them all the time yeah so yeah. these were quite popular speaking of financial crash pre financial crash in Ireland they were just starting to creep in it was a couple of institutions did them um i think they were called seniors money at the time i think they're spry now they've converted to mm-hmm. bank of ireland actually did them at one stage as well did they? Yeah. yeah so and they but they don't do any more but these were basically about giving people in their later years um, the means to release money from their property while staying in the property in that they may need money for A, B and C or just living in general. I mean, look at the questions you've got coming in about Mm. fuel allowance, Mm. you know, Class D stamp. You know, some people struggle with the income that they've got in retirement. So some people seeing this as, oh, well, look, I still have maintenance to my house and I can't afford those chunks Mm. to get. I haven't got the chunk of money I need to get the roof fixed or the boiler is gone or just even a better lifestyle mm. saying so look I have this money asset. that will be released to them from the worth of their home yeah. that will eventually be repaid when Ex- they pass on exactly. and, so in their estate and there's all two different types right mm. so there's um, this is at the moment there's the lifetime loan which is basically you get X amount of money based on your age and obviously the older you are the bigger the percentage of the house and they then charge you an interest rate. And that loan, this is a lifetime loan. This loan runs on, runs on. And then when you eventually pass away and or maybe go into a nursing home, then either the property is sold by your estate and the lender gets their money back and your estate gets the residual balance. Or it might be an opportunity for your estate, say there was children or whatever it be to buy out the lender Mm. okay Mm. so that the property can still be retained within the family or maybe one family member but the interest rates are high okay so I would say to you um, at the moment from what I can see the interest rate on this loan is about 6.45% right how does that compare to well look you're looking at a standard variable rate I suppose they can vary depending on provider at the moment, but I would say they're in around maybe I'm going to take a middle ground three and a half percent on a variable rate. So, so I double would, that almost yeah. <clears throat> double that yeah. all yeah. at the moment. So quite expensive. Um, you know, good plan is to live, as I always say to people. So you know, the longer this loan goes on, uh, the the more interest is clocking up. But some people might say, "Listen, I have this asset. I want to stay in my mm-hmm. home. Mm-hmm. This is a means of me getting money." You know, I know there's a price down the line, but I don't have any other means so of getting a loan. So what are your alone. concerns, Francis, besides mm. the, the interest rate? What, what are your concerns? Look, I suppose it's expensive. 
Um, I think there's possibly other ways of maybe doing this. Um, if you need money, it might be maybe you only need a small amount of money. And I think, you see, people are always wary about speaking to family about this. Mm. But it might be, say, for example, somebody needed 60,000, right? This was the number and they were going to borrow this. And it might be that they're leaving their property to their I'm just going to say three children, mm. right? Mm. And it might be that if you spoke to your children, they may be in a position to give you 20,000 each, right? And that you don't have to go down this route of borrowing and that eventually they'll get the house, the house will be sold down the line. So it, it's kind of a weird saving for them, mm-hmm. <laughs> if that makes mm. sense. Yeah, but Not it could a, be a major repair to the house that yeah. would be in their interests. Yeah. To, to do. Pe- now, what about... It, they mightn't have the money. Or they no, they might. The individuals them. may not have yeah. the money. So again, and it might be that people don't want to burden their family with this. But you have to be careful. You have to really, really seek advice in relation to these loans. Yes. Um, because they're very expensive. And, you know, I, I just did a rough top there. I, I was saying if, you know, somebody ended up borrowing, I think it was 180,000, right? Mm. And they're 81 now. Okay, and they live to 96. The amount that would be due back, it'd be about 476,168 euros. So that's a lot of, you know, that's a lot of money, right? Because it's compounding. That's the problem. Now, there are means you can pay a little bit of money as well, but you're getting into all sorts of territory. For a lot of people, that would wipe out the inheritance. Possibly. And now the only thing is there's no no negative equity guarantee on these. So if they go underwater, like say somebody borrows... And again, that's why they won't give you a huge amount of money. They're not stupid, right? Yes. They'll only give you a certain amount of money based on your age. And that increases over as you get older because it's getting closer to the point where they'll get their money back. Okay. okay? So you just have to be careful. But if they do go into negative, say there was a dip, just as, as you you passed away, there was a, a, a crash in the market. Yeah, okay. There's a, 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 there's a negative equity guarantee. So you won't, it, it wouldn't be that your estate would be obliged to pay back the lender that's just tough right that's just tough there's a no, a, a no negative equity guarantee built into them but mm-hmm. the, I suppose there is another option which is a reversion loan which is different to the lifetime loan what, what is that? so the reversion loan is where you're buying um, you're selling a fixed amount of your property at the time and you're fixing it in so if for example there's no interest for all the world yes. so you're selling it now, say you're saying, okay, I'm going to sell 50% of my, the value of my property. You'll get probably half of that. So you get 25% of the half value. Okay? okay. And that's released to you. So there's no interest per se. But the idea is that down the line, then they've got their fixed amount. So they're depending on the markets going up. Right. Mm. They sell it down the line and they're selling it at a higher price because the markets have even just gone up at a normal rate. Mm. They get their money back and some, but you still retain the other 50 percent. Okay, okay, And your estate gets that eventually. Now, just to say you can actually opt to put a repayment on that to get a bigger percentage. Um, But again, it's very hard to convey these you know, without having somebody in front of you. Of course. But I'm just saying, please be careful. It's interesting. Please be cautious. You're also counselling that maybe an option would be to to downsize in some way. Yeah, 
I mean, but you know, we were only talking about this lately in the context of, of where I live. I know at least probably three or four people had, if there were smaller houses in the village, in the town that they could downsize to, they probably would. Mm. But they want to stay in their rural village in South Tipperary yeah. or Waterford or whatever it be. But they would do. You know, with a heart and a half, they'd be happier. They'd have lower costs. But for some reason, this is the bizarre nature of, of our housing problem. Mm. Those houses aren't available. But think about this. If there was those schemes, then they could sell their bigger house to the family that needs it for their it children all make sense. and so on. And this works so well in other countries. Absolutely. Yeah. But we just don't seem to have a grasp on it here. And I think that's a real... If, if that was the case, then somebody would be downsizing. They'd be taking their equity. They'd buy their smaller house outright. Their costs are lower and they'd have a chunk of change that they can use going forward to supplement themselves or indeed you know, leave to their family eventually if they wanted to, plus, of course, the original property. So I think there's many reasons why these loans are required by people, but there's many reasons why we could get around them if we had the right Right. structures in place. Somebody wondering, are there... Uh, lenders who will lend to you on the basis that you're talking about. So I presume, are there people... Oh, there, in, there's one. There's one So in, there's in one Ireland. provider of lifetime loans and there's one provider of reversion uh, it's agreements. So that was the second one I mentioned where they buy a right. fixed amount for fixed price. There's two providers. One, they, sorry, one provider doesn't do both. There's two separate providers okay. in the Irish market at the moment looking at those. Can I just say... On the lifetime loan, if, for example, your family got wind of it down the line, not got wind of it, it sounds like you're doing something untoward, but if they realised, oh, look, we'll buy this out for you, they can do so on the lifetime loan, but you can't do it on the reversion agreement. Ah, okay. Okay, so that there are other reasons why you need to be really careful. Francis, that a family discussion should be had around it. Should, Fran, and and think about that because, you know, and that might tie into if we time to get into the next topic. Yeah, certainly we don't today, but we 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 will make reference to it if that's okay. You have to be careful, and I'm not saying this, but sometimes there's financial abuse of the elderly. And this is of great concern to you, isn't it? Yeah, look, not just of the elderly, of anybody. I mean, if you're talking about men, women in domestic abuse situations, financial abuse. And actually, what prompted me to think about this was that the last day I was in, I think Alison had got a text in Mm. and somebody had mentioned financial abuse. And I said, oh, my God, it's really not mentioned enough. Mm. And that can happen in a situation where somebody, say a, a child is putting a parent under pressure. When I need a house and I need money, I need this, I need that. And that they're putting a parent under pressure to release money, that could technically, you know, that's verging on financial abuse, right? Because if they're really putting a parent under dressing, mm. I can't buy my house, you need to help me, it's no good to me when you're gone, blah, blah, blah. Now, I'm not saying every I child know. would do I that. Know, but still, Sometimes yeah. it's actually the quite opposite. I don't want your money. You know, do whatever you do, mum, dad. Yeah. You know, knock yourselves out, live. But sometimes it's not. Yeah. Okay, so and and so and if you would, Francis, maybe next time round we'd spend yeah. more time talking about that because yeah. I think it's a very important thing to do. Somebody wondering though, um, one of these loans that you're making reference to, the life lifetime loan, mm-hmm. um, if you had to go into a nursing home and pay the HSC, what about that? In other words, yeah, that's so releasing equity to yeah, pay for that. So that yeah. can ease into it further. So that's something you need to consider. And the other side of it is, I think it's. Maybe maybe not on both of them, but I know definitely that they consider, say you did release money, right? That might be included 
for the in the home care scheme if you a chunk of money sitting there and right. you have to be careful with social f- welfare payments. Where fair deal is concerned, is it? Yeah, and yeah. you have to be careful with social welfare payments as well because if they're means tested, it might be normally the family home is excluded, but if you've money sitting on deposit. It might be, or invested it, it might be that it reduces down what you're entitled to. So just, again, be careful. All right, OK. We have other questions in for you, Francis, and I know you'll, you'll deal with them uh, next time. Good to see you, Francis. Thanks, and thanks, Fran. thanks very much indeed. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecone, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecone, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Well, you're very welcome back. Lots and lots of uh, queries coming in for Frances. Uh, We will uh, send them to her. And next time round, she'll deal with all of them in detail. But thank you for your huge interest in our financial uh, slots. Time now for our uh, global news update. And glad to be joined, as usual, by Thomas Conway. And Thomas, of course, Tipperary gentleman and a student of politics and economics in uh, Trinity. Good morning to you, Thomas. Good morning, Frank. Uh, good to see you today. Um, you're going to talk to us all, uh, first of all, about Turkey and what could be, I suppose, a looming dictatorship in a lot of ways? Essentially, that is the case. And it's already been in the news overnight. Of course, yeah. Recep Tayyip Erdogan threatening to block Sweden's accession to NATO. So lots of controversy there. But I wanted to talk about Turkey more broadly. Now we spoke about it a little bit before on the programme. Really, it is a country of, of profound contradictions. It's actually home to NATO's second biggest armed forces. So it's a member of NATO and second to the United States in terms of its military power. So its importance to the West is indisputable, really. Uh, And yet it's frequently quarrelling with various Western democracies over various issues. The Sweden issue is, is I suppose, the the latest example of that. But just to look at Turkey in, you know, from an overall perspective, its location is critical. Its location endows it with huge geopolitical significance. It's a gateway to the Middle East, a bridge to Eurasia, and then it's a transit country for a lot of migrants en route from the Middle East and Africa. So there are all these factors playing into it. It played a crucial role in the war in Ukraine. Mm. Erdogan has helped to broker that grain deal before Christmas to allow grain to be shipped from Black Sea ports to Africa and other impoverished nations. And then I suppose its population is the other thing. It's home to 85 million yes, people. Yes, I was surprised at that. Yes, yeah, so it, technically it makes it the largest country in Europe. Now, does Turkey consider itself under the European umbrella? Uh, not really. It sees itself as its own independent force, but yes. it does have a massive population. The thing is, we should pay attention to what's happening in Turkish politics because slowly but surely, it's President Recep Tayyip Erdogan, who's been in power since 2003, essentially, Mm. he's eroding Turkey's democratic architecture and he's effectively transforming the country from what I would consider probably a flawed democracy, Mm. so a democracy with certain weaknesses, into what looks like more of an authoritarian dictatorship. So it really is worrying. It is worrying because there was great hopes for him, was there not? There was great hopes. When he first came to power, Erdogan was seen as uh, an innovator, a guy who could instill the country or, you know, uh, instigate change across the country. That hasn't proven to be the case. As the years have gone on, he's grown more authoritarian. Now... He is a consummate politician. He's Mm. pragmatic, he has charisma, 
and very few will rival him when it comes to his speeches and his rhetoric. I've heard reports saying that, like, uh, saying that Erdogan rallies are akin to Trump rallies. You have this electric atmosphere, mm. a kind of carnival-like atmosphere. So he's a very skilled and wily politician. The big question, though, is whether he'll survive this year's presidential election. It's scheduled to take place on May, May 14th, and Erdogan is under pressure. There are a number of rivals kind of rising up the rising up the ranks. Now, he's done his best to subdue them, and he has done that in the past. In 20, uh, 2014, he was elected president. He transformed, effectively, the role of president from a ceremonial job, much like we have here in Ireland, into an all-powerful position, abolished the role of prime minister. In 2016, there was an attempted coup in the country. He basically purged anyone with any kind of tenuous link to that. So he has done his best to subdue Mm. opposition. And And the current situation then, so he's changed the role of the presidency. But I mean, what about, is there a cabinet? Is there an active uh, ministerial bunch or how does that work? Well, there is, but it looks like it's almost largely symbolic. A little bit bit more similar to what we have in Russia at the moment, whereby Vladimir Putin is president and there is a parliament and there is technically democratic institutions in the country, but they wield very little power. Uh, they have very little, little leverage over over policy and legislation and things that's Interesting. Hap- what, what about the country as it is now? I mean, what is it like to live in Turkey now? Yeah, well, economically, things are far from good. I mean, inflation is currently running at 64%. Wow. Living standards shriveling. Uh, Erdogan believe, seems to believe the only answer to this is to, to effectively print more money. And we all know that mm. that, that doesn't work. Mm. He had promised to make Turkey one of the world's 10 biggest economies by 2023. At present, it currently sits at 19th. That's a long way off his intended target. Now, it does. he has had notable achievements, it must be said. Turkey boasts better infrastructure than various EU countries, and a lot of that was built during Erdogan's tenure. But I came across a statistic. A survey last year suggested that 82% of Turks between the ages of 17 and 30, so that younger demographic, would move abroad if they had the means. So that is quite telling in terms of the attitudes towards him. So what about the geopolitical dimension then? Um, What about that, though? Yeah, I, I mean, in some ways, this is the area in which Turkey has performed best in recent years. Migration flows to to Turkey have kind of predictably skyrocketed since the start of the Syrian civil war. It now hosts 3.6 million Syrian refugees, plus over a million migrants from Africa, Central Asia, the Middle East, Russia. So, you know, it is, as I say, a transit country, but it's also becoming a home country for a lot of refugees. And how does the Turkish people feel about that? Well, I there are divergent attitudes. There are mixed attitudes. And I suppose... From one perspective, you have to give Turkey credit because, you know, a lot of these refugees would have been headed to Europe. It has, you know, it has taken on a role as kind of a place of refuge uh, and it has given a home to these refugees. So there is a certain amount of credit, but relations with them have become kind of acrimonious. And particularly when the economic situation of the country is so dire... Obviously, that will translate into negative sentiment towards refugees. What about the Kurds? Yeah, the Kurds. And I I really, we will have a look at the Kurds in detail some morning on the show because it's fascinating. They're they're known as the world's largest stateless people. Yes. So they're an ethnic minority. They do not have a state of their own. 
Uh, there, there are many of them within Turkey, and they've long been the subject of ostracization, mm. of marginalization. And of course, as I mentioned there, with the economic hardship currently biting the country, negative attitudes towards them have skyrocketed. Of so course. we saw what happened in Iraq, where the Kurdish we saw what happened in Iraq. In, yeah. You know, and ethnic minorities, by definition, are vulnerable in mm. times of economic distress. Yes. So you know, you have to wonder where Turkey's place is in the world more broadly. Under Erdogan, it has found itself embroiled in various conflicts in the Middle East: the Syrian civil war the struggle against Islamic State and then other jihadist uh, terrorist groups. But Erdogan is a hardline Islamist. That's the other thing to mention about him. He he really has an Islamist agenda. He will be up against it this May when the election takes place. Now, Turkey, what will be interesting, it'll be interesting to see his policy position on certain issues, particularly the NATO issue and the alignment with the West, because Mm. Turkey... Turkey sees itself as an independent, uh, self-declared republic, you know, independent, separate from the EU. It made a bid to join the EU years ago. That has kind of fallen on deaf ears, basically, in Brussels and, and never got the traction it probably deserved. So its importance to the world is only set to grow in the coming years. Now, whether Mr. Erdogan will be there to shape its future trajectory, it's uncertain at the moment. I suspect he will. I suspect he will do everything in his power to ensure that he remains in power. Uh, and that is probably the reality. It's going to be very interesting indeed. Will you let me take a break, Thomas, because I know uh, that you want to talk to us today about some of the mass shootings yeah. and indeed, I suppose, the American uh, relationship with guns. We'll be right back to you in just a moment. If it matters to you, it matters to us. Call Tip Today on 1-800-938-007. Thomas Conway in studio with me as usual on a Monday with our global politics uh, slot. Uh, we're going to discuss it just... Uh, just hearing recently again another series of mass shootings in the States. Uh, Thomas, and you posed the question to yourself, will America ever change its relationship with guns? The simple answer is no. Yeah. Uh, and that seems to be the reality that is sinking in after numerous mass shootings. I mean, last week, 11 lives lost when a gunman opened fire in the Asian majority city of Monterey Park. And then to add to that tragedy, another lone gunman goes rogue and killed seven farm workers in the city of Half Moon Bay, that's south of San Francisco. And the irony, I suppose, is that both incidents occurred in California, which is a Democrat-dominated state and would traditionally favour firearms regulation, mm. so would have some of the strictest gun laws in the country. But as you say, I mean, I think to the outsider, America's mm. relationship with firearms, with guns, is kind of confounding. It's bewildering that so many incidents like this can occur. And, of course, every time a conversation like this happens, we end up with the Second Amendment uh, being brought up. And it said that, and I think the important thing to understand here, now, I'm not American, I really don't, you know, it's very hard looking from the outside to understand it, but guns were, the the Second Amendment essentially enumerates the right to bear arms. Mm. It was, the Constitution was written during a time in which guns had huge importance in terms of self-defence and personal safety. So to many Americans, they're not just, they're not just a weapon, they're instruments of freedom. Uh, They've come to represent kind of the individualism, individual freedom or autonomy of each US citizen. So they're woven into the fabric of Mm. American culture. And I think that's what, 
you have to try and understand as difficult as it may mm. be. But Isn't then, there mention in the amendment something about militia and stuff that, that means that it's not really applicable to, you know, America in 2023? I mean, it's it's totally... Well, that is the thing, but it's so, in think, I think, ingrained in the culture that it's almost impossible to break that yeah. psychological connection with the weapon. But then you look at, at the at the statistics, and I mean, firearms deaths are a, a fixture of American life. Over 1.5 million of fire uh, of them of firearms deaths between 1968 and 2017. That's higher than the number of soldiers killed in every U.S. conflict since the War of Independence in 1775. In 2020 alone, more than 45,000 Americans died at the end of a barrel of a gun by homicide or suicide and that figure represents a 25% increase from five years prior and a 43% increase from 2010. You make a very, very interesting point. I mean, obviously the mass shootings make all of the headlines but but the other figures are even more astounding. Yeah, and it is important. I mean, homicides account for a a significant proportion but the majority of deaths from firearms are suicides. And, you know, that's a it's a startling statistic. Obviously, the mass shootings get the most media attention because they're so atrocious and all the emotion around them. But 45,200. Yeah, sorry. The majority of deaths occur as a result of suicide. Nearly 53 people are killed each day in the US as a direct consequence of violence. That's, you know, either suicide or homicide. So startling statistics. Deaths from mass shootings then, I suppose, they attract the most international attentions. And we've, you know, we've seen the FBI have counted 345 active shooter incidents, they call them. Uh, in the States between 2000 and 2020. The deadliest such attack in Los Angeles in 2017 killed more than 50 people, left more than 500 wounded. So the shocking thing is, despite all these devastating atrocities, support for stricter gun laws in 2020 fell to its lowest level in in several years. It's incredible. And will you explain to us what's behind this politically? Because there seems to be a binary thing here that, you know, if you're Democrat, you want more regulation here. If you're Republican, you don't. Yeah, well, that is the thing. And studies have shown, I mean, Democrats are nearly unanimous in their support for for stricter gun laws. President Joe Biden has repeatedly endorsed endorsed stricter laws. And yet, one survey says that only 24% of Republicans agreed with the statement uh, that we would support stricter gun laws. 45% of independent voters did um, and 91% of Democrats in favour of of restricting or putting in place some kind of firearms regulations. So the Republicans, I suppose, are the party of firearms freedom. They, they stringently oppose any restrictions mm. on guns and a lot of that is down to the influence of the NRA, the National Rifle Association, which is effectively the gun lobby in the United States. Will you tell us about the association? Yeah, it's yeah. fascinating. I mean, they wield huge influence, huge power over over members of Congress. Now, they've been embroiled in in no shortage of dispute in recent weeks and or in recent months and years. The NRA actually filed for bankruptcy as part of a fraud case against some of its senior staff. Uh, even after the move, however, it's continued to to wield influence, and it has promised to, you know, keep pushing pushing its message to defend the Second Amendment. 
And then if you look at the legislation across the country, a lot of, you know, we can we can judge the sentiment of what's happening in the United States a lot of the time from looking at what happens in the state legislatures, in the state parliaments. So often we get caught up about the, the picture in Washington and mm. what's happening there. But if you look at a more microscopic level, uh, we'll say in Texas, for example, the governor, Greg Abbott, signed a law, uh, a permitless carry bill that essentially allows the state's residents to carry handguns without a license or training. Wow. Now that is startling. I mean, particularly when you give it, you know, when you consider the the amount of atrocities there have been in recent years. There are all ta- there are all kinds of things happening at state level in the Republican states, I should say. Now, I don't want to demonize the Republican mm. Party, mm. but the reality is it is them who favor Absolutely. When you compare it to here, I mean, you cannot own a handgun here at all. No, at no, all. it's it's an entirely different yeah, psychological so culture, I think, and I just, think no statistic will 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 I, ever. End. I only have three minutes left, but I really want uh, you to have a quick look at uh, what's happening, where the tanks, the leopard tanks, are concerned. Ger- Germany, uh, following our conversation last week, Germany finally making that decision to send the tanks to Ukraine. Where where are we with this? Now, yeah, well, I mean, like they're going to make a huge difference. Any military, I'm not a military analyst, but anything I've read suggests that they will make a significant difference in this war. They have a number of assets. They can travel faster for a start. They're equipped with night vision, which makes them, uh, which makes, you know, which Mm. makes them more efficient and more effective. But do they not need extensive training to? Well, that is the thing. Now, the M1 Abrams tanks, which is the 31 tank sent by the United States, High power or high level training is needed for them, and it, it reports are that it will take a very long time to get them on the ground in Ukraine. The mm. leopards are a little bit different; they're easier to fuel, they're easier to operate, and apparently they are more efficient. So, anything I've read suggests that they could they could prove pivotal. Now, it's very interesting the amount of procrastination that Olaf Scholz will through. I actually met a fellow who was back from Germany anecdotally last Wednesday. He said, uh, attitude's a little bit different over there. And you can maybe understand the there is the psychological mm. kind of uh, hangover from, from the Second World, Second World, World War, yes. War, which is obviously uh, a thing. There's also the fact that there might be pockets of, of support for Russia in eastern Germany, uh, which was formerly under the Soviet curtain. So, you know, factors like that to consider. Now, if we look at the war in general, you know, People have talked about the question, you know, can Ukraine prevail here? Can mm. they vanquish mm. Russian forces? I mean, it seems it seems ambitious. It seems but it seems that Western countries truly believe in that now. Now, I would imagine behind closed doors there are conversations taking place at a diplomatic mm. level. Saw an interview with President Zelensky, Kay Burley of Sky News last Thursday. He showed no signs of wanting to negotiate. Now you can't blame him. His country has been taken over. But I mean, there has been very little, I think, cross-channel communication between the Ukraine and Russia. Yes, but but I mean, even where the tanks are concerned, why would he negotiate? Because you know he's being propped up, and uh, he will continue to be propped up. Essentially, and you know, so. it goes back to this question that Ukraine's, I think, success in this war is dependent on external factors. Of course. So yes. if there is a move to to move to to open the diplomatic channels, it will probably come from President Joe Biden or President Emmanuel Macron. 
they're the guys, I suppose. Right. And is there any indication that they may be wanting peace talks at this stage and working towards that? No public indication. Put it this way. You know, no public. It's very hard to know what's really in the minds of of Western politicians at the present moment of time. I think the fact that uh, Chancellor Olaf Schultz waited so long before delivering those tanks was indicative of the uh, maybe a kind of a... Uh, a slowdown in sentiment mm. yes. for... And it's important to point out as well, it's nowhere near the number of tanks that Zelensky wanted. No, I'm no, sure, no, sure it, it that, is yeah. significantly less. So yeah. that is another factor to consider. You look, look, Zelensky has emerged as one of the great heroes of our time. I write it here. But the prospect of him getting behind the negotiating table with Putin seems a far way off, uh, yeah. a long way off but at this, this point. But this could trundle on for a decade. Yeah, and, and and that is, I suppose, the concern. Will it will it stagnate? Will the war stagnate? Yes. At, at the moment, both sides are really dug in in, in parts of eastern Ukraine there, and will that remain the picture? Did you, did you hear that news this morning of Boris Johnson coming out and saying I saw, I read the piece. The piece is a documentary Putin. this evening. I'd probably yeah. recommend people watch it. Uh, a documentary well, on Vladimir Putin, do, that is. Yeah, Putin basically threatened him, according to Johnson. Essentially threatened to use missiles against him. So, yes. I mean... Uh, what that's... did he say? He said within a minute it would all be over. Yeah. Uh, now, whether you can trust Johnson's, <laughs> you know... Well, that's, uh, that's why I said according to Johnson. Uh, that's yeah. that's debatable yeah, in yeah. itself. But look, in fairness to Johnson, uh, he preserved very good relations with Vladimir Zelensky. That's the one thing you will give him. Uh, well, he, he presented himself there very quickly, didn't he? He did. Ukraine. He certainly did. Yeah. Probably for political purposes uh, as much as anything else. Oh, you, you young cynic. You. Yeah. Thomas, uh, we, sadly we don't have enough time to, to uh, advise people what to watch out for but we'll, we'll uh, talk to uh, people again next week. Good to see you Thomas Thanks, thanks, thanks very Pleasure. much indeed. News and information is on the way. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie Welcome back to the final hour of Tip Today, 1800-938-007. We're still getting lots and lots of uh, reaction to our chat about Enoch Burke. So it's something that we will go back to um, a little later on in the week. We promise you uh, that. Uh, do keep your text and WhatsApp coming into us, though, because we have that lovely uh, prize to give away in association with the good friends at the Talbot Hotel in Clonbell. Their leisure centre is called Talbot Fitness, and they've given us a month's Leisure Centre membership to give away every day this week. You can enjoy access to their gym, sauna, jacuzzi, steam room, and uh, to their swimming pool as well. So that prize, based on your interaction with us by WhatsApp and text, whether you're joining in our conversations or coming up with something brand new, but uh, if you want to just put Talbot at the end of your contribution, we can pop you in the draw. Now, the country music singer, singer and guitar player, Kieran Rosney, has covered George Ezra's best-selling hit Green Green Grass which is already going down a storm with his fans he's put his own country jive stamp on the song and it's a great version as well now Kieran is live with me in studio and we will chat in just a while but first of all have a listen to the single
single from Kieran Rosney uh, Green Green Grass and I'm delighted to say that Kieran is with me live in studio and has a guitar with him as well which is even better Kieran good morning to you good morning Fran uh, great Thanks. to see you um, the yeah. single is fantastic um, when I heard first of all you were doing this I said, how, how is this going to work but it really works as a country song doesn't it it, it does, actually. We're getting a massive reaction to it. And, you know, as you say, you don't know about a song until you have it finished. And whether and even at that stage, then, you have to wait till people hear it. <laughs> and, and they don't... And, and But, you know, from instantly, we we got... I, me, I often remember Kevin Sheeran, the great Kevin Sheeran, yeah. saying to me, Kieran, when a good song comes along, you'll know it because people will react, you know. Yeah. And, and you, you, you heard this originally... Uh, in in its uh, usual form that people might have been so used to listening. And did you see something in it at that point? I did. I did. I was I was listening to it on the radio, and I heard it, and I knew it. I could instantly feel it was a catchy song. And I suppose I just I listened to it, and I 
I all I'm always listening to songs that way. Mm. Uh, my my poor wife has gone crazy, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I just thought and I went home and I went with me little metronome as well and, and I was just checking it out and pr- practicing it with the guitar and I thought yeah we can work with this and then I actually I I heard George Ezra do it yeah. in on a BBC radio uh, live broadcast and um, he he did it in in a, in a kind of a country way. And I thought, ah, yes, this will work, you know. So, yeah. um, so that's where we went, and then we went to Jonathan Owens in Granard. And of course, Jonathan is a, an expert at, at making hit songs. So he 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 did his magic, and we we, we kept it country because we brought in the harmonica, yeah. you know, mm. and and we kept the, the electric guitar and stuff like that, and. It seems to be working anyway, Frank. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was saying to you off air, the sing-along factor must be amazing, is it? Ah, it is, yeah. It's such a catchy chorus, like, you know, yeah. green, green grass. And I, I don't know, it just instantly. I remember we played it last weekend for the first time and straight away people were singing it with us. Like, uh, that's great. You know. Tell us how well it's doing, because I was looking at this on social media. I mean, it's doing yeah. extremely well, isn't it? Well, it is, Fran. It, it, it's, it's, it's getting a positive reaction. And you know what's lovely? You, were, you know yourself from being a musician. You know, when you get comments from other musicians mm-hmm. yes. who, yeah, who, yeah. Who, who know what they're talking about yeah. and stuff, and they are very positive about it, and then you say, well, okay, this is great. And then I got a few comments, two or three comments from dance teachers, um, Sandra Ganley up there from, uh, she's Mayo direction mm-hmm. in Escrone, and um, she said she was thought it was fantastic, and she teaches a lot of people and kids and adults uh, good, dancing, yeah. and um, so that kind of thing has been great, you know. Yeah. Um, so it, look, long may it continue. And, and I'm just thinking, that we're all hoping for the best in terms of bringing down the demographic of people who are listening to the music and dancing to the music, and this sort of it falls in between the pop and the country. So like it, it, it really works on all those levels, doesn't it? Ah, you're always trying to keep things hip and and yeah. and, and in date and stuff, and yeah, look. It seems to work. I, I don't like praising it too much, but I suppose, you know, I, I remember when I did bring it to the, the, the producer um, at the start and he said straight away, he even yeah, said, yeah, yeah, yeah this, this, this works. It's going to work. Yeah, yeah, yeah you absolutely, know. absolutely so, fantastic. But uh, if people want to pick it up, by the way, if they want to, to download it or buy yeah. it in that fashion, can they do so? Yeah, absolutely. We're we're on all the downloads. The the Spotify, Apple Music. It's on actually all of them. There's uh, the Amazon and and the works. I I music I tunes as well. Mm. And um, if people want to get a quick listen, it's on YouTube there as well. Um, so tell yeah. me tell me about the career because in 2018 when I I heard you were putting the the band together as such, I said you know it's a brave thing to do because yeah. it, it's a difficult enough market out there, yeah. but it's been good to you, hasn't it? Well, we worked hard, yeah. Fran. I worked very, very hard for the two years and we were kind of getting up above the, 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 the waterline, mm. you know. Mm. And I remember maybe two months before the lockdown, we had just done the Cork Opera House with the Glen Campbell mm. story and we'd done the, the forum in Waterford the week before the lockdown. And the dance band was starting to, to pick up as well, you know. And and there were several... We had a lot of doubts, you know. I mean, it's mm. tough on the road some nights when you're not going so well, but... Things were starting to really happen. Yes. Yeah. And then bang, you know. And, you know, it took a lot out of me, I have to say. Did it? It really did, like, because I, financially I had put everything I had into it. And then my mental health suffered, I have to be honest. And, you know, it was, it's been a tough three years, you know. Yes. It has. And, um, and when you say your mental health suffered from this, was this because it was your dream and it was shattered to some degree? Yeah, it was yeah. my dream. And you see, we had worked not just for those three years, but I, I went professionally in 2012 
and I did for six years. Mm. And I put all that money into recording and, 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 and into the band, really. Yeah. And so it was, it was nearly 10 years of work. Um, that yes, because just, you'd worked as a solo artist, and very yeah. successfully too, for, for many years. Yeah. But you're saying what you made during that time you invested. In. I invested it yeah. into the band. You, as you know yourself, like PAs and lights and productions, are, it's all expensive, and men. You know, I had a crew of, of about eight people. And um, so... And I and I worked extremely hard myself as well. Mm. So um, I'm very much a hands-on person. I like to be there with the gear. Mm. I like to be there on every part of it. Mm. Um, um, but yeah, so it was really hard. How did you pick yourself up? How did you find the enthusiasm again? Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, Fran, you know, I started doing all kinds of jobs, which I never had a job in my life apart from music. And I tried to do a bit of carpentry and I made benches for people and, and stuff for my mom and dad. And and I kept, I kept going, but I never mentally was getting anywhere, if you know what I mean. I was still was down. And I was lucky I met a man in Mullingar, a doctor there that I go to see, and he just was fantastic and a lot of my relations and friends came and and gathered around me and and you know I I, I remember the great Eddie Rowley from the Sunday World he says Kieran you have a roof over your head food on the table and you, you you have your health some way he says it's a lot more than what a lot of people have and you know that's it that's the way I looked at it I says your back's to the wall get out and fight and that's what I tried to do and I came back. I didn't know after the lockdown whether I would come back or not. You know, because it was such a it's it's a big it's a big thing to uh, put your band you, back. Did, did you look at it as negatively as that that you mightn't actually return at all? Yeah, did you? I did because we had we, financially we had put nearly everything we had, mm. and I I I owed a lot of money to different people, and you know that's it. So it was tough, and and that was it. Like. Um, you know, so it's it's even tough now thinking about it. You know, mm. and um, but I said, look, I have to get back here. This is what I love to do. Mm. This I love playing music. So, my my I went driving buses, and <laughs> my dad says, you're not going to stick this too long. You're a musician. So that's it. I like yourself. Like I'm I'm a musician, and I suppose I'll always play music till the day I die. And. Mm-hmm. I know I'll be trying to do other things to make a living or make money, but, you know, music is what you love doing. And I think, Fran, as you know, if you really love and it's your dream to do something, you got to keep at it. Oh, you have to keep at it indeed. <laughs> How is the head with you now? How are you? I'm good. I mean, this song really has just has lifted it? me up yeah. to no ends, you know. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's just fantastic. I mean, to get the reaction... From the people, because you're always doubting yourself as a performer. You don't know, oh, geez, I don't know, is this right? Oh, and you pick a song and you're not sure. But when you get the reaction from people and you, stand, and you go, this is it, and then your band starts to click into place and, you know, it's of great. Of course it is. I have particular admiration for you because you're the real deal. Um, like, you know, you, you're a very accomplished classical musician, for example, with, with all of the relevant qualifications and all of that as well. Um, so music, I mean, you, you're not just somebody who strums a few chords or something like that. Well, I, I, I um, you know, I started guitar at a very young age with, with a young man called uh, Tony Holland was my teacher. Mm. He's from Tullymore and Tony started me at about the age of six and he didn't even know if we could we could do it at that stage. But I learnt all the chords and the songs with Tony every week with new songs. So that was a mighty start for me. Mm. And then I, I went and I studied gu- classical guitar with John Feely mm. in Dublin. And I'd, I spent many years and I did my degrees and master's degrees mm. with John. And, and, yeah. you, and you won awards. I won awards at Fesh and... 
I used to travel around Europe to the different festivals, and I was as lucky. Like I had some amazing experiences. Stu- studied with, a bit with John John Williams, the guitar player. Did you? I yeah. didn't realize. And David wow. David David um, David Russell. Did you? The great uh, David Russell. Mm, as well. So all the top guys, I was lucky to get wow. in with, and yeah. But you know, deep down. I'm a country guy at the end of the day, yeah. so I always just liked playing and singing a few songs. And can you bring something from the world of classical music to what you're doing? Well, that's the reason why I think I, I did it at the start, was yeah. to improve my technique, to try and make sure I was playing the correct way. But then again, there's no correct way, but I have to say, um, like, it, a lot of guitarists and musicians have problems with tendonitis and mm-hmm. hands, and I've been very lucky, I suppose, all the the learning of the of the guitar with the classical proper technique yeah, and all of that yeah you know um yeah. it's definitely helped me a lot and um well you have your guitar with us and we're going to have a treat now because you're, you're going to do something live for us you mentioned in passing of course the glenn campbell show which is very much part of what you do we'll talk about that in a moment but will you do a glenn campbell song for us i will i'm going to play a song which is kind of close to my own heart because in a lot of senses i was very similar to glenn in that he came from very very humble background and um but he, Glenn was a genius, yeah. guitar player, singer. Like, I, I, I'm just happy to be able to sing his songs, you know. But I'm going to play a song that was written by Carl Jackson, who was his right-hand man, and for many years, the banjo player. And he they actually wrote this song on a plane ride from one city to the next, where Glenn was telling Carl about his life story and where he grew up and what happened. And so they called it the Arkansas Farm Boy. Excellent. In okay. your own time. This is Kieran Rosney live with us uh, this morning. One, two, three, one, two. The seven son born to an Arkansas farmer and a hard working mother twelve. Never could find any time or a dollar that she could just spend on herself. Well, I remember things now that my daddy once told me. The old man grew wiser with time. And a life on a farm in a boy's view was awful. Has changed in the same old right. Oh, the weeds had grown high on the farm back in Dixie, but cotton and corn used to grow. And the memories run wild in this Arkansas farm boy that give all he owns just to go. Cotton and corn used to grow And the memory 
this Arkansas farm boy could give all he owns just to go. Where cotton and corn used to grow And the memories run wild In this Arkansas farm boy That give all he owns just to go What a beautiful! I wasn't aware of that song at all. Ah, what a beautiful song, isn't it? And gorgeous guitar playing there as well. What about the Glen Campbell show that you started out doing before? I mean, will you return to that? Do you think, Karen? We're in negotiations at the minute, actually, on on that, um, and we're hoping to be back at it in September, October now. So yes, that's that's something that it actually was a really special show, and we put a lot of work and. Um, it was it was it just was magical, you know. Yeah. And uh, my mom and dad joined me on the stage. Glenn's mom and dad was was with him a lot of the time, and we we did a kind of a a videography uh, thing at the back, and we brought in. It was just uh, it was it was really special now, you know. And it actually was going down a bomb as well. So, um, yes. because the songbook is incredible, isn't it? The Jimmy yeah. Webb songs are just. Ah, uh, yeah. Incredible, you unbelievable know. Uh, combination. They, they say it's kind of like Lennon and McCarthy, yeah, you know, yeah, with um, Jimmy Webb. Like, uh, um, by the time I get to Phoenix, and yeah, the Wichita um, Lions band, I think, Wichita. is just an amazing song. Yeah, well, yes. they're all amazing, songs, but yeah. that, that in particular for me, that's my favorite song, is it? Oh, thanks be to God, because yeah. I just love that. Yeah. I, I think that's incredible. and the special. story behind uh, the <laughs> writing of it is just incredible, as amazing. Well. Yeah. And the, the, the fact that they tell your listeners that you know that. Uh, Glenn was in the studio recording the album and he was running out of songs and he rang Jimmy and said, have you any song? And they said, well, I'm working on one. And he sent him over just the verse and chorus and that was it. And Jimmy didn't think more of it. And then a few weeks later when he met him, he said, oh, I've got that song finished for you. Glenn, this is too late. We haven't recorded <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that an amazing story indeed? Speaking of family, your family is so musical, for God's sake. You know? yeah, yeah, well, lucky. Um, you know, I suppose my oldest brother, John, um, he started us all off, really. He, he was a great singer of, of Johnny Cash music and uh, Don Williams. And and he used to be, he had this habit of be always singing in the hall, you know, where you get the echo. And <laughs> so I grew up with that. And my, my brother, Stephen, is is uh, very much into bluegrass music. Very much so, yeah. And yeah. He's, he's, his kids, all his kids play music. Yeah, um, they've been in the studio with us, yeah. 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 Fantastic. Yeah, yeah so yeah. it's, um, it's um, we're kind of surrounded with it. And of course, just over the road from me at home, Simon Casey's there. and Yeah, you're uh, Ballycumber. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. we're near Ballycumber and Pulla and... Um, yeah, you have Simon Casey. You have a lot of talent around there, you know. That's that's, that's for but sure. Indeed, loads of people onto us here to say how much they they enjoyed your performance and wishing you well as well. Um, I love Jade Kelly saying, "Oh my God, how beautiful is that!" <laughs> and uh, lovely listening to that to Karen and to hear him. I uh, heard him a good few times. Lovely singer. Good luck to Karen. The very best of luck. And that comes in from Alice. Alice Hanlon as well. And lots of I, other people onto us as well. You're you're kind of close I, by tonight, aren't you? You're in Adair, is that? We're right? in Adair. That's where we'll be heading now after this. Um, we're going down to uh, the woodlands in Adair for the from the Monday night dance, and we always seem to go well there. So, 
I'd encourage anyone to uh, pop down for a good dance on on Monday night and hear my me and my band and yeah yeah and it's a lovely venue as well. And what about next weekend? Where where are you next weekend? And yeah, we're in the Shearwater Hotel in Ballinasloe on the mm. Sunday night, the the fifth. Um, and that again, that does not always be a good night there. And um, I know we're down in the West County in Ennis, so we're along the coast here a bit. Yeah, um, uh, coming up as well. And uh, yeah, a lot, a lot of people from Tipperary go to all of those venues, so I'm sure yeah. they will see you there at some stage or other. Um, and again, just to remind people, if they want to download uh, Green Green Grass, yeah, Spotify or iTunes or Apple Music or Amazon, it's all up there. And um, Please, uh, please uh, send in the request to Fran and everyone else as well. Right. Well, it was a <laughs> real treat to have you today. As I say, I admire what you do. I think it's great. And somebody who can go in and play the guitar and sing like that, always a pleasure. So look after yourself anyway, Karen. And thanks very much indeed. Thank Th- you. Thank you, Fran. Thanks for having me. Thank you. We'll take a break. We're back with more in just a moment. It's 11.28 right now. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Still getting uh, lots of people on to say how much they enjoyed uh, listening to Kieran Rosny uh, today and so say all of us. And if anybody deserves huge success in the business, that gentleman does because, as I say, he is the real deal. Fantastic musician and uh, a great singer and a hell of a nice fella as well. Now, um, we sent an inquiry to uh, to Ishka Aaron, as they are now, Irish Water, and they gave us a statement and Emma asked me to read this out to you. Ishka Aaron, working in partnership with Tipperary County Council, carrying out essential works in the water network on the Ballyduff Road to Malboris in Tipperary to facilitate housing to support social and economic development. And notifications were issued to the local community and businesses in advance of the works. And the road closure, which came into effect on Monday the 23rd, is required to facilitate connection to a 22-unit housing development at Ballyduff Road to Malboris. And the works uh, involve uh, excavation and traffic management is in place to ensure the safety of the workload. Now the works are due to be completed on Friday evening that would be last Friday and the road closure in place until the weekend and if further works are required to support the remainder of the connection these will be completed under lane closure and traffic light systems. So if you're in the area, you might just want to let us know what is the story at the moment. Those works were due to be completed uh, the weekend gone. So are they? You might like to let us know where that is concerned. But anyway, Ishka Aaron, as they are now, regrets any inconvenience uh, that the delivery of the necessary water network improvements uh, may cause. And they'd like to thank the local community and road users for their cooperation and patience and all of that. All right, then we were talking about traffic in Tipperary Town at the very top of uh, the programme. I was speaking to Councillor Michael uh, Fitzgerald. Paul joins me now. Paul, good morning to you. Good morning, friend. Uh, it prompted you to bring up the, the um, conversation around traffic in Thurles, Paul. Yeah, Thurles is a nightmare. Uh, I, I, like, uh, I drive a school bus over to Thurles from Ross Cray every morning. Yeah. And uh, now, I know Harnell Street comes off Liberty Square. Mm-hmm. I never know the name of the street that the Earth Line is on. But uh, I just go past there and then onto the square and down to the presentation. Right. And that, that's grand. So fine. That, that seems nice enough. The problem is you have traffic coming off Parnell Street coming onto the square. You have traffic coming from Slevesmon Road going up around mm-hmm. the square and back down to Ryan Pointing Out. And they're coming down from Forest Street as well. Yeah, so it's a, it's a bit of deadlock there, isn't it? Particularly in the mornings. It's a nightmare. And then yeah. in the evening time when you're trying to get off the square onto Parnell Street 
uh, you have traffic coming both ways and you have residents parked on the street. Mm. You know, and it, it's, a, uh, it's a regular nightmare. I mean, in fairness, uh, that, that, I think the only answer there would be to either make it one way, mm. off the square, or get the residents to park in the car park across the road. Yeah, it, it, so many things have been tried there, Paul, over the years, tried and failed indeed. But I think there's a lack of certainty as to rights of way and all sorts of things um, as you merge on to Liberty Square, would you agree? Yes, it's an absolute nightmare. Uh, like, I mean, if you're coming out of Sleazemon Road, you have right away. If you're turning right off square to go out of Sleazemon Road, it would appear you have right away. That's how it seems. Yes. And um, you're try- as I say, you're trying to get out of whatever street that is, the Orsland is on. There's no sign there saying what street it's called. But uh, I come out there and trying to get on the square and then it's, they're coming down on the left-hand side of the lane and then they're trying to go right to try and get across on the Road. It's nearly impossible to get out. And yeah. it's a busy road. Yeah, of course it is indeed. No, of course, as often said on this programme, the only answer to this is a proper bypass of Thurlis because you're always going to have the bridge down there at the library end and that in itself yes. is a bottleneck. It's a nightmare because I, I know uh, you'd be coming down there and uh, as you say, tra- traffic's bumper to bumper yeah. and some guy in front of you or some person in front of you is going to let half the county out. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, and they're only being courteous but still, as you say, it's causing... Chaos. Well, personally, uh, if I'm coming down that road and uh, let's say the square is blocked, I can't move before the grand let people out. Mm. Or if there's nobody behind me, grand let people out. But when the traffic chopper is behind it, nearly back down to Aldi, uh, you know, you might be courteous, the jab coming off the bridge, but you're not doing much for the lads behind you. I know, I know. Give us a couple of ideas in terms of what you think should happen, Paul. Um, uh, now, obviously, the answer is a bypass. That's way down the road. Um, give us some ideas. Well, see, the, the bypass is all very well, but I mean, an, an awful lot of the traffic seems to be uh, wrapped around the schools. Mm. So, are, are you saying to me you're always going to have that, Paul? Is that it? I believe so. Yeah. I believe so because, uh, as I say, a lot of traffic is heading down towards presentation. There's an awful lot of traffic for the CBS and the Orsi line. Yes. And with, as far as I know, there's there's a planning application in for more building on the Orsi line. And what are you saying to me that that will add to the issue? Is that it? I would imagine so. Well, I mean, if there's more students, there's going to be more cars. Right. Okay. You know, now having said that, they're only going as far as the Ursuline, so it might ease what's going on further down, but then you're still going to be held up trying to, when the cars are going into the Ursuline. Right. And you alluded to one way there earlier on. Explain to me what you mean where that is concerned. Yeah. Yeah. Have the, have, have the uh, off Liberty Square onto Parnell Street. Mm. No coming off Parnell Street onto Liberty Square. Okay. So when you go around the top of the square, you can only get off the square. Right. Now, if memory serves me correct, there was some version of that tried and it just didn't work out for some reason or other, but I'm, I'm, I'm open to correction where that is concerned from, from Thurless people. Um, but you think, and again, your experience in this, you think that might work? It, well, it's, it's worth a good try. Yes. You know, it could also help if you, if you get the residents on that stretch to use the car park across the road. Give them free. So you live here, you have your park in this, you can park in there. Right, and you think and, you think that would alleviate uh, some of the issues there as well? Well, the way it stands, uh, I'm coming off there in the evening times. 
of Parnell Street. A lot of the time, you're going to have to stop because the guy coming down here, and he's coming. He yes. doesn't care. He's going, to, he's going to come out around the car that's parked. Yeah, and particularly with respect, whether it's a when it's a bus or a truck, you're in, you're in. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Now, it's, it's usually something transit size I'm driving. Right. Okay. But uh, sometimes it could be like a bigger Mercedes, not a coach. But then again, you, you have a truck coming at you or uh, an SUV. But the, the thing about it, they're, they're not getting past those cars without crossing the white line. Well, of course, and and you think that that's uh, the issue there. Um, yeah, of course. Now, it, yeah. you, you'd have to put all double, double yellow lines there, or else it would only be you taken would, up by other people. So, of okay. course, there is, there is another problem. Right. <laughs> if uh, you're coming down from uh, Wirra. And if mem- again, if what's left of my memory serves me correct, the businesses had some objections to traffic uh, to parking being taken off there as well. So, well, again, uh, to be honest with you, on that particular stretch, but, but, but between uh, the corner of Parnell Street and where the right turn is to bring it back out towards the Ursuline. There are, there's a pub there, steak rooms is there. Uh, I think the backside of the credit union is there. Mm. Can, these, it, it, can, they, can they not put the car in the car park? Yeah. Instead of parking their car outside the pub. Okay. Outside the well, as you say, if it was made attractive uh, for them to do that by way of free free access to the car park, it yeah. might, be, might be worth a, a conversation for so, sure. Uh, can I ask I think, you, do, yeah. do you have any um, experience of driving in Tipperary Town, Paul? A long time ago. Long time ago. Okay. Okay. Fair but, enough. But maybe ten years ago. Oh, fair enough. Okay, but it's and uh, can you remember to, back to that experience at that point? It wasn't. I, I didn't find it that bad. Okay. Well, I was I was driving for the wheelchair association last Craig at the time. Right. And we were playing uh, a game of bowls, so I was bringing the members back, and we said, "You know what it is? We'll uh, we'll go round the long way to to Ballycattle because we're not we're not going through tourists." <laughs> Right. I, I'm, I'm just interested in in that because I, what sparked off our conversation was talking to uh, Michael Fitzgerald earlier on and um, he was a bit annoyed that there was a, a headline in the Nationals to say that driving through Tipperary Town was nightmarish to say the least so you know I don't recall it being that bad now to be honest with yeah. you but th- th- having said that I don't know much about Tipperary Town I came in by Sulhead yes into, into Dundrum and uh, back out the same way so uh it was pretty much a straight line to where I was going. Uh, Austin, was just, Austin was on to us. He says, Fran, Parnell Street needs to be one way. Juggernaut trucks uh, causing mayhem there. And when they meet each other on those streets, particularly, uh, you could widen footpaths on Fire Street and bring back shop use, it says there. So there's an opinion from across the water in the UK from Austin. Uh, good, yeah. to, good to talk to you, Paul. And thanks very much for your time today. No problem. Thank, Thank you very you. much. Thank you. Safe driving to you as well. Thank you. That's uh, Paul speaking to us this morning. 1800-938-007. Join the conversation in Tipperary. Contact us through Facebook, Twitter, or email tiptoday at tipfm.com. Tip Today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie 
Bell, you're very welcome back and it's time for Travel Tales with uh, Fergal. Glad to be joined by Fergal O'Keefe in the studio. Good morning to you, Fergal. Good morning, great to see you. And uh, good to see you as well. You're going to go all romantic on us uh, today. We Valentine's on the way and our first St. Bridget's Bank holiday as well. You, you were making the point and I agree with this. It's kind of a bit under the radar, hasn't Completely, it? Completely, yeah. It's funny. I suppose it's because it's the start of the year. I reckon there's people out there that don't even know mm. that this weekend is a bank holiday, bank holiday weekend, yeah. you know, which is um, really interesting. Mm. And I think that kind of, you know, I was looking at deals for February and stuff and, you know, I just even noticed, like, I'll just give you one example. Like, there's a flight from um, Shannon to Marseille and if you go th- this weekend, like, it, it's only, um, it's nine ninety nine return, right. which is amazing, you know. So Because I mean, on a normal bank holiday, what what would happen? I mean, I guess the prices would oh, be... Oh, the prices dramatically go up. But I mean, so like if, if, if you did, if you were, your bags were packed and you were available to go like Thursday to Sunday for nine ninety nine to go from Shannon to Marseille. But I think that reflects that this weekend that people, um, you know, don't know too much about what's going on and you know then I would you know the way every bank holiday weekend you know like say in October is the Cork Jazz Festival so mm. I think there's room there for like festivals and things like that to go on but you know as people I'm sure they know that it's St. Bridget's Day on on, mm. on Wednesday and that it, it's in honour of St. Bridget this bank holiday weekend so Yes you, You're kind of fascinated a bit with Bridget mm. are you? I've told Do you know what it was actually last year on my the Travel Tales or Fergal podcast I interviewed interviewed Louise Nealon who's an author her book Snowflake came mm. out last year and she's from Kildare and she was I even noticed her putting up stories about on Instagram the last few days as well you know about Bridget mm. and she's really interested in saying Bridget is you know and that got me interested in it because I never really thought about it. you know in school you used to do the, yes. the cross with the reeds but yeah. She's actually quite an amazing character, really. Yeah. And she was a very powerful... Well, I, my understanding is there was a couple of Bridgets. There was the pagan Bridget, and I'm yeah. not sure whether that Bridget was sort of dragged into Christianity or not. But the Christian Bridget, she was extremely powerful, and she was over a lot of area Exactly, and like, you know, she, like and setting up her own church yes, in Kildare yeah. and having people behind her. And, you know, and I suppose a sure sign of her power was, you know... I reading about her saying the Vatican um, delisted her mm. at one stage, or still, I think, from the yes. um, you know the saint list because but, she was a woman. Yeah, guess, yeah, but in Ireland, she seems to hold, particularly with women, mm. she's holds a really powerful place in Ireland, and maybe it goes back to the ancient church, the original yes. church in Ireland, and say pre the Christian church, that women were very involved in... in um, yes, and very powerful Exactly. Well, yeah. exactly yeah, when you think and like again, my understanding is that part of her travels brought her through Tipperary as well, Bridget, so she was, yeah. she was here at times as well. Um, you were telling us about a concert uh, that's happening as yeah, well. Yeah, so, so there's actually a festival, I was saying, like Bank Holiday, I'm sure over the next few years other counties will get in on the act and have festivals over the Bank Holiday weekends but the first ones out of the trap are Kildare and it's actually, it's called Bridget 1500. So if you check their website, bridget1500.ie, but there it's from Wednesday until Sunday and it's all over, you know, different places in Kildare. But they've got some very interesting things like Imelda, so mm. very much female orientated, yes. like Imelda May. They have a big open air concert in Nace on the, on the first, on, on St. Bridget's Day on Wednesday with Imelda May, Eleanor McAvoy, Tula McKay, Susan 
Susan O'Neill, Mary Stokes, Megan O'Neill. So loads, that's a big concert. Very and she's good. also doing a concert in Moth, I think on the first as well. Mm. And uh, Michael D. Higgins is going to be there. and She's written a special poem for it. Oh. And then another one, which I think would be really interesting. I'd love to go to this. This is on the Sunday, the 5th. And it's going to be on St. Bridget's Cathedral in Kildare, appropriately. And it's with Emer Quinn. And if people remember her. Beautiful voice. Exactly. Yeah. And her yeah. song, The Voice, the voice the, yeah. with Brendan Graham. Yeah. And both of them have written a song especially for this. Have they? That they're going to be debuting on Sunday. Oh, and I can imagine in the, her yeah. voice is made for a church, isn't it? Oh, just so pure and beautiful and gorgeous. Exactly. Yeah, yeah for sure. And uh, the place to stay then, uh, you were talking about Barberstown Castle. Yeah, and we can talk about it later. Yeah, now. Yeah. But just, you know, I interviewed a number of people for my podcast, which will be, I'll, it'll be up um, next Tuesday. But and I'll also be writing about it in the Nationalist. But basically, I interviewed a number of hotels, and I wanted to find some interesting romantic hotels. And I mm. interviewed uh, Ted, who's at the MD in Barberstown Castle. So that'd be a great yes, one. And, absolutely, and, and we will talk about that later mm. on because it's well worth the conversation. Is it? What about some romantic Valentine's getaways yeah. then? Do you and actually, just one other thing before we go yeah. on to that, just to mention Finding Bridget. There's a documentary on RTE, and I would really recommend that. That's tomorrow night at 10.15. Oh, very good. The people, if you want to know, if they're going to go through her history. So I, I, I've i set my record for that one anyway. So I think that'll very be very interesting. And that's on RTE, is it? Exactly. Okay. Tomorrow okay. night. Very good indeed. So romantic Valentine's getaways then. Yeah. And you know what? So I started this, as I said, on my podcast was on romantic getaways and I started looking at places to go for Valentine's and for deals. And it made me realise the same as everything. Like w- when you go away, so for Valentine's or bank holiday weekends and things like that, mm. the difference in the prices is amazing. Like to, just to give you an example, like if you were to go to um, this weekend, if you were to go from Shannon to Budapest, mm. the flight, say from the 3rd to the 6th, the flight is 493 return. But if you were to go on Monday, f- the, the, the 6th to the 10th, it's just 29 each way. Oh my God. So the price difference is absolutely huge. Yes. So that's the thing about, and people know it as well for Valentine's, like buying flowers and things like that. It's crucial, it has to be done, but it is very expensive. So you have to get the flowers for Valentine's. But if you're going to get a gift, it doesn't have to be, you don't have to be away for Valentine's. You can, I think a lovely idea is you maybe, if you're, you know, plan a trip, a romantic trip, whether it's a get, you know, a romantic mm. trip in Ireland or abroad, so you can do it in the future but give it on Valentine's Day and I think that's a lovely idea for a gift I think it's very clever as well and it saves a few bucks the flower shops won't be thanking me (laughs) they won't be thanking (laughs) you at all where that is concerned All right, some some of the places that you're mentioning then um, yeah I mean, you, if you look at the list, I was looking up Condé Nast do these lists, like, so, you know, it's, I don't know how they actually come up with this, but it's like the ro- most romantic city breaks, because I think it's a real lovely idea, city breaks, or to go to a romantic hotel. So the list that they have done is, uh, they've come up with, I suppose it's the obvious ones, really, but number one is Venice, hmm. number two is Paris, number three is Rome, and number four is Bruges in Belgium. Wow. And all of those are, I have to say, they are really romantic. I mean, particularly Venice, and, and obviously Paris and Rome, but Venice is actually, mm. that's something I always associate with there. And to go, actually, 
in February this time of year is a lovely time of year to go to that's when I've only been there once but it was in February time right. of year and it was great the price of the hotels were way cheaper I, I wouldn't have and, thought of Bruges immediately Bru- yeah well, well, Bruges yeah, I, yeah I was, it's funny because um, I was asking my wife yesterday about you know romantic places and she mentioned Bruges right. and then I was then I said I, I look up the official list and Bruges was in the top four so it was an interesting one so it is a gorgeous place. Right. I, I've been there with my wife, actually. And uh, you fly... Actually, it's a very, it's a very uh, cost-effective place to go to because there's so many flights to Brussels. And I think it's only about an hour away from Brussels. It's very near. So you could combine it with Brussels, actually. Mm. But it is... I do, have you seen that movie? Um, in, in Bruges. Exactly. It, yes, with and, uh, Colin Farrell. And I was like nearly a bit like... I was, I was just thinking about that earlier, like it maybe it's the director's style but it's a bit of a character in the movie just like the Aran Islands and Ackler yeah. are a character in the movie but it, it's very um, it reminds me of Venice actually because it's they call it maybe the Venice of the North right. um, or maybe I just made that up but I definitely <laughs> think I heard it somewhere So because it, it, they're going to use that yeah, you know, there's loads of canals <laughs> Oh, but, is there? I, yeah. I, I don't know. I've never been. So it's yeah. all it's it's all canals, a bit like like the canals in Amsterdam. Okay, but very but much smaller and amazing and and much quieter, calmer, and loads of these amazing, really old buildings and. And then Belgium is so famous, like with its chocolate and mm. it's, you know, the, the waffles, etc. The food is great. So, yeah, it is that that is a very cost effective one because I was looking again at prices and, you know, for handy and I say Cork, there's flight to Venice. And um, like if, again, if, if your bag's packed, you could get a great deal going this Wednesday until Saturday. And it's just 48 euros return oh. to go to Venice. But if you decide to go to the most romantic place in Europe, uh, Cork to Venice over the to be there for um, the Valentine's yeah. so you go the 11th and back on the 18th it's nearly 500 489 euros return so 48 versus that it's quite amazing and the same for Rome again on that romantic list if you decide to be there for Valentine's which is the thir- you fly the 13th uh, to the 17th these are all with Ryanair it's 396 but if you go from the sixth to the tenth, it's only thirty-three return. So you can see the price difference. And I and this is something I'm always telling you about tips. Like if you're willing to go midweek off peak times, like go out on a Sunday mm. rather than back, mm. the price difference is just unbelievable. Yes, sure, I know. But you you know yourself if you have kids. I mean, over the yeah. years trying to trying to get holidays exactly. during during the peak time there, exactly. and somewhere you're, you're ripped off completely. Hey, you're on about a quick ski trip as well. well what's yeah. that about? And the reason I brought that up is because one, it's something I've done before for Valentine's, and you kind of think of a ski trip as oh, you got to go for like a you know, people go for a week or whatever. Mm. But the time I did it, like I literally went out on a Monday. And I came back on a Wednesday, which sounds a bit mad, but it worked a treat because if you go, place I'd recommend is Morzine. Mm. So if you fly into Geneva, and again you go to France, is it? Yeah. 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 So you okay. fly, so you, or Geneva is in Switzerland, but then the Morzine is in France, okay. but it's just over the border. But it's only it's less than an hour away, so it's very quick. And it's an early morning flight, so you can be in Morzine by lunchtime, skiing in the afternoon. So you get that afternoon, then you get all the next day. And you could come back then on the Wednesday, so you could be in and out, you know, like a, like a weekend away. Right. But it, it's so. And the reason why I'm saying it as well, one, it's I think it's a great trip, a romantic trip to go away, like for that. But also, it's um, a great 
there's loads of snow at the moment because the last time I was on, I was saying it was a bit of a disaster, mm. global mm. warming, and there was no snow, but there's loads of snow now. So I would recommend people again start looking, and you'll get great deals for skiing because of that, yes. because the season. I, I want to talk about some of the romantic getaways in Ireland, but I have to squeeze in this because there's something I'd love to do is the notion of the train journey. Um, yeah. I'd love to do that. I mean, there's nothing more romantic, and I could oh. I could list millions, but I just mentioned two I mentioned is because Switzerland, again, tiny with the skiing. Some people like who don't ski mm. but to, it's still in a gorgeous romantic place to go and Switzerland is particularly because good because it's those towns are like the picture perfect towns Beautiful. but there's yeah. two great train trips it's called one's called the Bernin Express in Schuur, and it goes into Italy over the Alps and the other is the Glacier Express which is St. Moritz to Zermatt and that you can see the Matterhorn and, and that has got like a glass roof so as you're going you can see the Matterhorn oh and the mountains so I think that's Is that all lovely. very expensive? Yeah, Switzerland can be a little bit expensive alright but it, that, you know the, as, a, as a special trip that would be an amazing okay. one to do. Uh, romantic getaways in Ireland uh, then and some deals maybe for Valentine's Day? Yeah, so I was look, I, as I said my podcast coming out next week I was looking for romantic getaways something a bit different but also things that we're doing deals so the, the, for different is this place is called Tubbard Castle in Kilkenny I interviewed the owner John Campion who they're like fourth generation and they've, they've just restored they've been they spent, I think 20 years restoring this castle mm. it's in Kilkenny but it's an amazing place and you can hire out the whole castle so it's three rooms in other words they only take uh, one booking at a time right. so whether you book one room or it's a family with the three rooms but I couldn't think of anything more you know they're like four poster beds in every, every one of the rooms and it's an amazing amazing is, is place. that Airbnb? Exactly Oh is it? Yeah so They're actually now they just joined before Christmas Christmas. That's how I discovered it on the Blue Book. So you can find it through the Blue Book or else Tubber Castle on their own website. But they just joined as a member of right. the Blue Book and they only take one booking and it's an amazing place. Like you have to go on to their website even to look, to read about the history of the place. But like Airbnb voted it um, the best Airbnb, the most popular one in Ireland. It was in the New well. York Times article. Is there a place in Limerick as well? Yeah, and then again, yeah. another one that we're doing Valentine's special is uh, One Perry Square in Limerick, and that's a gorgeous place. It's in the Georgian Quarter. It's an old Georgian building, so again, a really gorgeous building, and uh, they're doing a special for Valentine's. With, I think they're doing a tasting menu, six-course meal on the Tuesday. So if you wanted to go like somewhere actually on Valentine's night, and you're right in the centre of Limerick, which is really... Very you good. Know, so, so accommodation and food. Exactly. Okay. So accommodation, food, and spa treatments and Barberstown Castle are doing the same thing right. they're doing a special they've got a this French uh, chef sounds amazing old style which I love old style French food so they're doing a tasting menu as well on Valentine's Day and um, so I've both of those or, or the other one if you really want to go for it Tubbard Castle those three I'd recommend Very for Valentine's good. You were talking about Barberstown as well uh, Straffan I, I was saying I've heard so much about it over the years but I've never been I know I know it's on my list Yeah. and I was talking to Ted like he's a character and he was saying he'll put up a, a tip flag for me when I when I come up <laughs> <laughs> so um, he he's a real character, but he was telling yeah. me you were, you mentioned it about Eric Clapton. Oh, it's it's the real rock and roll castle. Totally. Yeah. So yeah. he he was telling me about the guest. So he was there from eighty eight, sorry seventy nine to about eighty seven, and he was telling me actually when when this group now Ted when their group just took over Barbersound has mm. been rejuvenated at the moment. Um, Eric sent over a best wishes Did with he? a guitar, and they have that framed wow. up now. 
And like he said, the people like Mick Jagger and oh, Ronnie I mean, Ronnie Wood was there. Yeah. I, I think he was living there for years. I probably yeah. was. I yeah. mean, the get, but the like. I mean, it was a who's who. Bob Dylan has been there. You know, the people that the history of that. You can imagine what those parties were like. Oh my god. <laughs> oh my God! I, I have a headache even thinking about it. Yeah, but but all of that is reflected in Barberstown at the moment. Yeah, and yeah. you know what? He told me a great story. Someone Valentine's, and he was I was saying any romantic stories, and he was saying the roses, all the roses this year stayed during the during the summer, and then they had a uh, for New Year's they had a, like a ball. They all came back to meet up again. I didn't know they used to do that, and the Arizona. Rose, her boyfriend, contacted hotel. He said he wanted to propose. So he, he organised it, Ted organised it so that up in the turret, he proposed to her. And it was the first person that they, that has done wow. it that he knows of. So he had a bottle of champagne up there. Can you imagine how romantic there's, that is? There's was? romance for you now. There's there's women wagging their fingers at their husbands out there and partners <laughs> now, I would imagine, and saying, there's real romance for you. Um, so in terms of the the podcast then, when when is that available? So that'll be out next Tuesday. And I'll also be writing about this in the last show. It's next Wednesday. So next next week, I think it's the 7th of February. Right. So that'll be out next week. All right. Always good to see you. And thanks very much indeed, Fergal. Fergal O'Keefe of Travel Tales with Fergal. That's it for me. Emma produced. Ellie looks after our content. And uh, Stephen is on the way. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Bye-bye. Tip today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie.